Joel! That guy got faked the punch. Hey, Joel! Don't fake a hate crime today, Joel! Don't fake any hate crimes today! Keep that megaphone away from your face, Joel! Don't fake any hate crimes, Joel! Don't, don't, don't punch yourself, Joel! Don't punch yourself again! For those of you who are listening, and for context, I'm gonna check the audio in a second. I spent an hour trying to fix the audio issues. If there's a divergence... You know what? Before I even go, this is how neurotic I am, people. I'm gonna refresh, and I'm gonna listen to myself for one second. Do I hear myself? Am I muted? I'm going to go to locals. Am I muted? Uh, locals, let me... <laughs> One of these days. Am I muted and can people hear me? I'm going to go to locals where I know I'm going to get uh, non-joking responses. You are not muted. I can hear you. Sounds great. Did you hire a professional? Oh, hallelujah. Let's just start all of this again. For context, people, for those of you who are listening to this video and you don't know who Joel Harden is, member of the Ontario uh, New Democrat Party, Sitting member of provincial parliament, he is the man who at the protest that I attended as a journalist or journalizing, documenting reality, lied about having been punched in the face at the education, not indoctrination protest back in Ottawa over the summer, lied about having been punched in the face by an anti-trans protester. He lied. The aggregate knowledge of the interwebs discovered that he actually banged his own megaphone into his own face and then had the balls to lie to the world about having been the victim of a, of a fake hate crime. So this is reporter on the street, and I'm, I'm using the words of reporter and journalist, obviously for context, because of what we're going to talk about today. Pleb the reporter, Pleb the trucker, um, heckling Joel Harden the liar. And try to claim a hate crime. No, no fake hate crimes today, Joel. By the way, he's got no. He, he's got his um, two SLGBTQIA plus goons with him again, blocking him with a poster, a banner. What the hell do you go to a protest for to cover your face and to protect yourself from being seen? You go to a counter protest so that people can see you and hear your counter protest words. This is virtue signaling cowardice of the highest order. And yeah, we don't need to play the whole thing. It is pleb the reporter, pleb the trucker. Um, some would say berating. Others might just say heckling the living bejesus and rightly so out of Joel Harden. Ho, ho, hate hoax, hate hoax hoaxer. Hate crime hoaxer. Oh, he's gonna punch himself! Oh, here we go! Be careful! Smash it! Smash the like button! Joel! Fake hate crime! Fake hate crime! Fake hate crime! Oh, okay, and at one point you saw Joel pretending that he couldn't hear, but saying like, oh, I can't hear you. All right, people, um, how's it going? Uh, there's news that I, that I, that I wanted to talk about. I'm going to talk about it later tonight or tomorrow, obviously. The British government is now inquiring with social media platforms, TikTok yesterday, Rumble today, as to whether or not Russell Brand is able to monetize his content on their platforms. And TikTok apparently confirmed that he can't monetize his response video. And I think that they confirmed that he's not monetized on their platform anymore. 
What is it called when uh, government works in concert with private enterprise and media to promote a common interest? It's called fascism, and we're living through it right now. They are playing for our freedom for keeps, and they are playing dirty, and they're playing hard. And nobody's going to know better than that than today's guest. Um, okay, so standard intro disclaimers, no medical advice, no legal advice, no election fortification advice, super chats, rumble mats, you know all that stuff. We're going to end on, on YouTube sooner than later because... Piss off YouTube. I'll post this later to YouTube, but YouTube is my now secondary backup and not my go-to. Rumble is my exclusive go-to. Um, so we're going to end on YouTube and go over to Rumble. We're going to have the after party at locals, vivabarneslaw.locals.com. The guest today, the host, the host, I'm the host today. I guess I'm the host every day. The guest today, Stephen Horn. The question that is going to be the question of law is what is a journalist... Uh, is Stephen Horn a journalist? And was Stephen Horn just charged with and convicted of crimes of being a journalist? For those of you who don't know, and in our locals community, someone rightly said, when you have a guest, always include a bit of a more of a description than what I've been including. I will. You're going to hear his story today. Stephen, I can see you in the back. You're good to come in. There we go. People, Stephen Horn, and let's hear this story. It, it, share away, everybody. Share the Rumble link. Don't share the YouTube link, obviously. We're going to hear some uh, uh, outrageous injustices today. Stephen, because um, I have uh, adjusted my audio, could you just give a quick audio, and I'm going to let the locals community tell me if our audio levels are good. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, dude, thank you I for don't, coming how, on. How long do you want me to talk for? I'll let, I'll let the chat catch up and tell us if one of us is way blown out. Uh, thank you for coming on. And like I told you before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask too many questions and you're going to have to rely on your good judgment as to what you should not answer. But look, before we even get into everything, 30,000 foot overview as to who you are, for those who may not know. Yeah, so I'm an independent journalist. Um, I'm from the, the Raleigh, North Carolina area. Um, I really prefer reporting on local stories, but on January 6th, I ended up reporting on the riot at the Capitol, which I was not expecting. But when I found myself there with a camera, I did my best to, you know, cover that the newsworthy events that, you know, began to develop. Now, I've got to ask you this. Everybody in my community knows I'm a bit uh, obsessive about it. You look about as young as my oldest nephew. How old are you? 25. Yeah, you are. You're, you're almost, you're a little older than my oldest nephew. Uh, dude, so you're 25, a, a born and raised in South Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. Cool. Uh, on North Carolina has portions that are on the beach, correct? Or is yes, North Carolina? Yes, so there's, there's the East Coast, the, the Outer Banks. There's sort of a chain of islands out there and then a inner beach as well. All right, cool. And uh, what, well, also, we're not going to waste too much time on childhood, um, but I, have to, I do have to know. Siblings, how many, how many siblings in your family? Yeah, I have an older brother and an older sister. Okay, so you're the youngest of three. Okay, interesting. What did you? What are you allowed to say? What your parents do or did for a living? Yeah, so uh, I'm a computer programmer. I work at uh, our family's sort of small computer software firm. Okay, very cool. And that's all I'm going to ask. That's as intrusive as I'm going to get. Youngest of three. Interesting. Parents are not psychiatrists, which uh, would also have been interesting. Jokes aside, so you, you studied computer science. Did you study journalism? I, this is going to be relevant only because of where we're going with this discussion. Yeah, so I didn't, you know, officially study either, you know, computer science or journalism. I was homeschooled, so I, you know, basically learned both the same way, which is sort of picking it up through through experience. A homeschooled 
for your entire elementary and high school experience? Yes. And I, I also did college from home, you know, distance no education. Way. If you do college from home, though, you have professors that are not your parents, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I got a degree from Thomas Edison State University, which is in New Jersey. Okay, very cool. Um, that's interesting. So you did elementary, high school and university from home. Uh, I'm gonna ask an obvious, maybe not an obvious question. Do you have a, do you have a fear of crowds or do you have um, agoraphobia or anything? Or is this, no. just, this is just a decision that no. the way your life. I'm not okay. afraid of crowds, but um, uh, many, if I'm in a crowd like January 6th or like the, the riots I've covered, I am definitely very wary, but no agoraphobia. All right, now, so explain to us your, what you would consider to be your journalistic history, which is gonna be relevant in terms of whether or not people recognize you as a journalist or an insurrectionist with a camera. Uh, what, what, what has been your, your, you know, what you would consider to be your experience in journalism? Yeah, so, um, you know, growing up, uh, as when I was still a teenager, our family did a 21 DVD documentary series on the Civil War. So we traveled across America, you know, filmed on location at pretty much every major Civil War site. Um, so I had uh, quite a bit of, you know, video, audio, documentary experience from that. Um, I also worked on a project in Nigeria where we, um, you know, as, as part of a mission trip we were on, we discovered that, uh, um, that the headmaster of an orphanage or, or boarding school that was being funded by the United States, he was abusing his students. So we sort of did an investigation. We went over there for a week, um, interviewed a bunch of witnesses, victims, et cetera, put that into sort of a video project to share with both the, the ministry and, you know, the general public who funded them. That was sort of the, you know, projects I had done before I started doing independent journalism, you know, where I was publishing my own stuff in the summer of 2020. Okay, that's very cool. So I, I watched your interview with Alison Morrow. It's everyone should give it a watch, but it's going to be outdated now because that was before your trial and now you have since been convicted. Uh, so when you said, when you described your prior journalism experience and making the documentaries, you did that with, as, a, as I say, a family project and not to uh, be demeaning or belittling, but you did that with your, with your parents as part of your homeschooling and it was like a bona fide, legit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can find it in uh, some national parks. That's flipping cool uh is it on youtube um no <laughs> I, I don't really want to say the name but uh okay forget it forget it, forget it. <laughs> i don't um, want it to get kicked out of the national parks <laughs> okay fine no. understood yeah but it was, it was you know professionally done we had uh you know a videographer with professional experience we had all professional camera gear and then yeah us running around doing everything else and so, and the other one where you went to, um, what country was it again? With the, Nigeria. With Nigeria. And so I, if you go with a mission, I presume that you, you, you come from a religious family? Yeah. So my dad is a pastor. Okay. So you go to Nigeria and expose abuse within an orphanage. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, you know, the, the story ended up getting picked up by that Nigerian media once we had done sort of this, uh, you know, this, this initial investigation and further investigation later. And so I actually, one of the things that uh, we presented to the judge in one of the motions, you know, arguing a selective prosecution motion sort of on First Amendment press grounds was a letter from the Nigeria Union of Journalists basically saying, hey, Stephen worked on this project. It was good journalism project. Holy shit. Okay, we're going to get into it now. So we're going to end this on YouTube. It changes nothing from our end. I'm just going to go 
um, end on YouTube. Everyone, you got the link to Rumble, and I'll give everyone the link to Locals afterwards. So end on YouTube now, and come on over to Rumble, and then vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Okay, so let's now let's get into this. So you, you've been doing, you start doing independent journalism after these projects with your family, uh, state parks, Nigerian abuse in orphanages. Um, what sort of what sort of examples under your resume of independent did you do you have, and that did you submit to the court before we even get into yeah. the day of January sixth? So prior to January sixth, you know, it was I guess only several months before in the summer of twenty twenty when the the George Floyd riots broke out across America. And I was looking at the, the media, the independent journalists and, you know, some of the new media journalists who are covering these riots so much better than the mainstream media was. You know, they're actually going on the ground, getting us video, whether it's, you know, Kenosha or Los Angeles or New York, basically all the cities, it, Minneapolis, you know, Atlanta, whatever, all of these cities that was, you know, independent journalists, you know, the, the type of journalists, some, some of them did work for, for, uh, you know, some of the newer media corporations, but they were the ones that I saw, you know, out there getting the video, you know, whether it's people like Brendan Gutenschwager or Elijah Schaefer, I remember a lot of his videos, you know, Drew Hernandez, Richie McGinnis, all the people like this, I was saying, hey, they're, they're doing a, a lot better coverage. And so when I looked in my local area, um, you know, I, I didn't really see any journalists doing that sort of coverage. It was just the local mainstream media, you know, the local TV stations, local newspapers, and they were basically generally doing what the, the local media was doing across America and covering the riots, which was kind of, you know, staying back because it's dangerous. And some of the, you know, politics, they they might tend to to sympathize with what the, the Black Lives Matter protesters then turned into rioters were, uh, you know, demonstrating about. So I started going out to these demonstrations in Raleigh, North Carolina, which, you know, some of them ended up turning into riots and basically documenting those and publishing them to a Facebook page that I created just for covering local news. All right. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Okay. So getting to the events of January 6th, uh, you're 25 now, so you're 23 at the time. You're from, you're in North Carolina. Do you, how do you decide to even go and attend? What was the reason for deciding to go down? Were you in the area already? How, how did you end up in DC? Yeah, so basically, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I was interested in sort of the, the Trump or MAGA phenomenon. So I had been wanting to, you know, attend a Trump rally in person for a while, just because, you know, as I'm, I'm sure you know from, going on the ground to an event can be a lot different experience than just, you know, viewing it from your home on a computer screen. So I wanted to attend, you know, at least one in person. I'm sort of a procrastinator. So, um, you know, by the time the election was over, I hadn't gone to any. I hear about this uh, protest on January 6th. You know, it wasn't like the, the previous two sort of stop the seal protests in D.C. in November and December. Because, you know, Trump himself was supposed to be there. So I was like, okay, this is probably my, my last chance to, you know, observe this, this phenomenon in person. So um, I brought a helmet cam that I had made from my experience watching journalists in Raleigh be assaulted. You know, I had made this, this uh, it was like a skateboarding helmet. I took some of the foam out on the inside and, and put sort of built a custom camera there so that I could be recording and the rioters who might tend to do violence to members of media would not know that I was recording. You know, I think many of the, the independent journalists took 
somewhat similar measures, though obviously, you know, they're, they're not uh, talking about that publicly too much because that kind of ruins the point. But yeah, it's my understanding that that was sort of a common practice because when, when you're covering these riots, there's a very strong um, anti-media atmosphere where even people they perceived as their allies, you know, if you're just wearing normal clothes, they would say, put your phone away. We don't want you to film us. And then, you know, they'd go commit illegal activities. So I, I brought this camera with me that I had made, this helmet cam, um, because I had seen the reporting from the Stop the Steal uh, demonstration in D.C. in November and also the one in December. There was reporting, I don't know if you remember the viral video of Charles Downs, where I think like, he and his fiance are trying to make their way back to their hotel through where the counter protesters had gathered and, you know, their attack you know, liquids are thrown at them, whatnot. You know, there's also reports that the Proud Boys and Trump supporters had been stabbed. So I brought the camera, not because I was expecting anything close to what ended up happening on January 6th, but because, you know, I wanted to be prepared. So if I came across any of this, you know, sort of street level stuff, I would be able to safely document it. Let me ask you a question, because you said in the beginning, I, I was going not as a Trump supporter, and I'm not a Trump supporter. And I, I'm not asking because I'm interested in the politics. I'm actually more interested in whether or not, um, well, it's relevant potentially for the conviction. Uh, did you, I mean, are you, are you conservative by nature or are you a, a, a Yeah, Democrat? so I'm conservative. I'm definitely on the, the right side of the political spectrum, but I would be more liberal and I would also have sort of uh, apply a higher moral standard to candidates than probably most voters. Okay, fair enough. And I'm only asking because if you were what some would call a lefty Democrat and you got convicted by a judge, uh, that would be interesting, and I'd ask you if you still still consider yourself a lefty Democrat. Yeah, I mean, John John Sullivan is uh, going up on trial pretty soon. I think the next month or so, and he's he's definitely a leftist. So we'll we'll see how his trial goes. So you and you say you had seen violence at prior protests, um, and I'm asking this maybe it's call it bias. When I go to when I went to the protest in Ottawa, I, I saw no violence from the what they would call the far right side, but the only menacing scowls I got were from the other side, the counter protesters. Had you ever seen, had you anticipated or seen violence at a Trump protest prior to that? Or were you sort of anticipating counter protester issues and you know, the, the infamous fiery, but mostly peaceful type protest? Was it for the response that you were anticipating or potential violence coming from the pro-Trump crowd? Yeah, you know, what, what I had personally witnessed in covering events in Raleigh, it was always, you know, left-wing events. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of, um, I didn't, the, the specific ones I went to, you know, if they're, they're holding them at night, you could get sort of a feel from, uh, you know, what, what flyers, what materials they put out, whether this was going to be one of the entirely peaceful protests or a mostly peaceful protest. So what I had seen in Raleigh was, you know, exclusively, well, yeah, what I had personally seen in Raleigh was, was exclusively, you know, left-wing protesters that the BLM Antifa sort you know, that's that sort of alliance there that were, you know, I had seen doing violence. I had seen that the property destruction that they were, were doing on the streets. Okay, so you've concocted a helmet. What type of camera are you using inside of it? Is it a GoPro? No, so is that, um, I don't know if you heard of like a Raspberry Pi. So no, I'm it's like Google a, it right a little, now. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little computer chip that you can use for a variety of purposes, but one of the things you can do is buy like a little camera module. So 
um, it, it ends up being a lot smaller than a GoPro. And most importantly, the, the aperture for the camera is much smaller. So instead of having a big lens like this that you have to hide, it's a very small lens that you can hide in a small hole. Very, but very... if you watch the, the footage I took, you can also see that there's definitely some downsides to that and that it you know, doesn't, didn't have the same uh, stabilization or wide angle. Uh, or, or resolution, I presume. This is the... Uh, um, it, it was taking it in uh, 1080p. So it was technically, you know, HD. Okay, so that's very cool. So it's a, it's a much smaller... That's interesting. I, I hadn't heard about that. I, I can never think of anything other than a GoPro. It's the, um, my, my, my rule or go-to. So you have this camera in your, in your helmet. When do you get down to DC? Yeah, so, you know, I, I saw on social media, they were, someone was uh, arranging a bus to go up. And it was very convenient for me because I was leaving very early in the morning on that day. We were like 1 or one thirty in the morning from Raleigh. And it was coming back that same night. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, pretty reasonably priced ticket. So I got on the bus, you know, rode up to DC, got there, I think around 6 or 6.30 in the morning. Oh my goodness. All right. 6.30 in the morning. So you leave at 1.30 in the morning. You're there at 6.30 in the morning. How does your day progress? And, and what do you see starting from 6.30 in the morning, culminating at, you know, one or two? Yeah. So, you know, the, the first thing I did is make my way even from that, you know, where, where the bus was parked on the other side of the river, taking the metro into D.C. You could already out there see all these these Trump supporters who were gathering, you know, making their way towards the ellipse and the Washington monuments. And, you know, it's very easy. You didn't need any directions to know where you were going because there's just this you know, large number of people in the streets. And I, what I specifically remember is getting to the Washington Monument and sort of looking down each street that is leading there. And, you know, there's a larger number of people just on each individual street than there were at any of the, the events I had covered previously. So I was like, okay, wow, this is on, you know, uh, <coughs> this, these Trump's sort of this uh, whole different scale of numbers. You know, I'm not sure what, what the, the actual total is. You know, I, I'm I believe there's dispute by different people, you know, estimates as to like what the total crowd side was, but it was certainly, you know, orders of magnitude larger than, than anything that had uh, come together in Raleigh. And the, the mood, the overall ambiance as you're approaching, jovial, angry, aggressive, what was the tone? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really notice uh, a whole different tone than, you know, at an ordinary uh, demonstration or, or gathering or protest, you know, that, that I would expect to not break into violence. So, you know, I, I didn't get early on in the day, I did not get any hints of that as I moved around the crowd. You know, I, I walked around quite a bit. I walked all the way down to Black Lives Matter Plaza to see, you know, if there are counter protesters gathered there already. So I basically, you know, was just walking around. I didn't go inside the, the ellipse area because there was that very long line you had to wait in. But basically, you know, walking all over the place to just, you know, get a feel for the different groups. Because there would be like, you know, one group over here that are specifically gathered. They're like, you know, anti-CCP. And so they have, you know, some group that came from, you know, some place where they all gathered in one place. So, you know, these are, you know, a, a group from New Jersey, or you'd see a group in another place that had, you know, some, some banner or matching t-shirts or signs. So just, you know, interesting going, going around this rally and, and seeing that the different people and and elements that had gathered you know there, there are actually a lot of people passing out like anti-ccp literature which was that was kind of odd because that that wasn't something i'd really seen in raleigh anti-communist china ccp uh, yes. communi so these, chinese communist party 
Yeah, I believe these would be aligned with like, um, you know, maybe Hong Kong or Taiwan, where, you know, uh, <coughs> immigrants primarily from those areas who were, you know, gathered there and spreading their message about how the, the CCP was bad. Okay, interesting. So uh, by what time do you make it to Trump's speech? Yeah, so I, I didn't make it in like inside the ellipse where they had like the, the security area and people going through security to get in there. Like I said, there's a huge line. So they did have like screen set out. So basically like there's the ellipse here and then the next block over is the Washington Monument. And that was completely open. You know, it's a big field, slight hill and, you know, the Washington Monument in the middle. So there are uh, a whole lot more people gathered around, you know, on the Washington Monument block than there were in the ellipse. And they had, you know, a screen out there and audio, but <clears throat> I guess whoever set the audio, you know, maybe didn't do a good job because there was like this echo and it was extremely hard to understand and hear what anyone was saying if you were outside of the ellipse area, just because of however they, they had those speakers set up. Now, the, I, I pulled up a picture. Let me just see here. Uh, the, the ellipse is, the, I, well, that's not the best picture of the ellipse. That's, the ellipse is the grassy field in front of, what are we looking at there? Is that the... Um... Yeah, so I believe it's between the White House and the Washington Monument. So at okay. that time, um, you know, it was all fenced off. They had made it into sort of, uh, they had set stages up. They had, you know, plexiglass, bulletproof glass around the speakers. They had it. I, I believe they even had it all set up in chairs. Um, and so, you know, to get into that area, you had to go through, you know, metal detectors, probably set up by Secret Service or whatever, you know, and that was where, uh, you know, Trump was supposed to come and actually give his speech. Okay. And so you're there and it's just, it's shoulder to shoulder, just hundreds of thousands of people, every, a sea of people. Yeah, potentially, you know, definitely when you got close um, sort of like in the street between that the ellipse and the Washington Monument was very densely packed together, you know, difficult to, to try to make your way through because um, there is, you know, the line to get into the ellipse. And that was also where they had put the porta potties. There's lines for that, too. So just, you know, right there was the most packed together. And then sort of as you went across the Washington Monument, you know, it kind of thinned out some. There were people with like picnic blankets and stuff. So it was, yeah, once again, I, I don't know that the total number of the crowd size all I know is that it was very large. All right. And, um, and then, so what, you're, you're in the crowd and then what happens and how do you end up um, at the Capitol building? Yeah, so basically I was, <laughs> like I said, I was wandering around this area, you know, the Washington Monument, the Ellipse, checking out the crowd. And I ended up getting very cold that day. Um, I guess it must have been, you know, we're, you know, North Carolina is not too far away from D.C., but I guess whatever the weather pattern is, it was much colder um, in DC than I was expecting. So, you know, I put all my clothes on that I had brought in my backpack and I ended up heading over to a Starbucks to get a hot drink. Um, you know, when I came out of there, uh, I sort of went down to Black Lives Matter Plaza again to, to see if anyone was gathering there yet. And when I was coming back up, um, when I get to Pennsylvania Avenue, sort of, I believe that's where the White House is, I see, you know, Trump supporters are moving in the direction of what I later find out is the Capitol. Are you interviewing people, talking to people? What type of footage are you capturing at this point in time? Yeah, so so I I wasn't really intending to cover the Trump rally. What I specifically brought the camera for was, you know, if I did see any of this conflict, you know, between counter protesters and the Trump supporters or with the police or whatnot. So, you know, th there are lots of reporters out there with cameras interviewing people. 
you know, the camera I brought was sort of, you know, dedicated for a specific purpose. So I just had it there in case. So I, <clears throat> I wasn't really interviewing anyone around the Trump rally because, you know, like I said, that that wasn't really uh, what I had came to came prepared to potentially cover. Okay. And so then ha what happens and how do you end up in the Capitol building? Yeah. <laughs> so basically, as I see all these these Trump supporters making their way down Pennsylvania Avenue, I I join them, travel in the, the same direction they're going to, you know, see what's up, basically. And so it was when I got to the end of Pennsylvania Avenue, it sort of like ends in a like a parking lot almost before you reach Capitol grounds, just before the edge shows. When I was in that parking lot, I, I sort of sensed it, it always sounds, you know, like mumbo jumbo and I hear myself describe it, but I could sense the same energy in the crowd that I had sensed previously covering demonstrations that turned into riots with illegal activity. And I, I don't even know what particularly it was because at that point, I hadn't seen any violence against the police. I hadn't seen anything broken. I hadn't seen any, you know, fencing torn down. But something was just, you know, sort of like when you feel, when you get that sense that like someone is looking at you. It's just like sort of this, this additional sense that you can't really, you know, put a finger on on what particularly, um, you know, what particular sensation is causing this. But I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's the body language or whatever. But that's when I pulled out my camera in that parking lot, you know, put it on my head. No one else knew it was a camera and started recording. And so from there, I guess I, I followed where people went onto Capitol grounds. You know, I arrived after the riot had been going on for about an hour. So it started at 1253, you know, with the video of the people pushing the fence at the, that, you know, perimeter of the Capitol grounds or raps is whispering in the guy's ear. That's, that's when the, the rioting and the violence really started at 1253 when Trump was still giving his speech. So when I arrived, it was about an hour later, um, you know, completely different position. I, you know, all the, the fencing was on the ground or moved out of the way. And there were, you know, tens of thousands of people um, on Capitol grounds. So I end up making my way towards the Capitol, sort of going around to, uh, you know, avoid trying to wade through the densest part of the crowd. So that meant I ended up sort of coming um, along the side of, of where most people was gathered, um, where there's a, there's a large staircase called the Northwest Staircase. You know, there's sort of two grand staircases on the west side of the Capitol leading up to the, the upper level. And so I ended up, because I was on the side, you know, looking up at the face of the staircase and that scaffolding there, you know, I actually didn't see, you know, the, the main police line where rioters were facing off with the police and fighting with them. Um, the first, one of the first things I saw when I got there was a man who I later found out was named Derek Vargo. He's being carried off on this piece of uh, improvised, uh, a piece of bicycle rack fencing that they were using as an improvised shelter. So it was like, you know, a couple of police officers, a couple uh, DC fire department, and a couple of members of the crowd who are carrying this guy out. He's unconscious. You know, someone's looking at him saying, he broke both his legs, but I later come to find out, you know, after January 6th, I find, you know, multiple angles of video showing that he had sustained those injuries by a police officer pushing him off the side of that Northwest staircase um, about a two to three story fall. But, you know, uh, that was. <clears throat> and I'm looking, this is what I understand is the West side, correct? And the staircase. Yes. Is, yeah. So that's in the person. center there. You can sort of see um, in the, the back. You know, there's a Capitol building. You can sort of see the second level there and then all the people. So okay. that picture in the top middle there, 
top, middle, this one right here. Yes. So that was like sort of to my left. Um, you know, that happened later. But so that was to my left. And then to my right was sort of, um, you know, this large staircase. So when I was there, you know, people weren't climbing up. But you can see there's there's sort of that um, wall there that or I, yeah, I don't know what that's technically called, but it's, it's, you know, multiple stories up to where there's a terrace at the top. So where Derek Barrio had been pushed off of was about halfway up the staircase. So, you know, and, two and to I, three I, story fall when yeah. I see him looks unconscious, looks looks really bad. Le legs are mangled. Um, I, I didn't really see the, the details of his legs, but, you know, someone who is standing, I could hear audibly someone who is standing there examining saying, you know, his legs are broken, you know, possibly his back is broken as well. And, you know, he has come forward and done an interview where he said, yeah, he had to get extensive surgery, pins, metal rods and stuff put in his legs to sort of repair that damage. Um, your camera is running the entire time from the time you start feeling the energy change a little bit or yes. did you Yeah, exactly. So I recorded two hours of video continuously rolling from when I stopped the camera to or sorry, from when I started the camera just before entering Capitol Grounds to when I stopped it just before I left two hours later. Um all right. How, your camera's out of focus. You might want to um I don't know how you yeah, regain. Yeah. This is this is so frustrating. <laughs> Um, maybe if you're if you're put your hand well i find that if you put your hand in front there you go okay there there you go yeah uh, it, it doesn't really I, I hate that. that it just or usually it goes in and out and that one wasn't coming back um so you recorded for a full two plus hours government had and got i presume your entire footage obviously yeah um okay so hold on let's just let's let's follow the chronology here so you go you don't see the initial breach you get there people are are, are already in climbing the wall it's it's the it's the mayhem that we just saw in that picture then what do you do yeah so basically what i see is um you know in hindsight i know that i arrived sort of just before um one of the most critical moments i see there's police officers up on that staircase you know where now i know that that they had just pushed this guy off of but what i see is the police are up there the people on the ground start throwing objects up at the police on the staircase. Um, and then there's sort of a crowd below on the staircase. And so the police are sort of um, facing pressure from two angles, from the people on the staircase and then from the people on the side throwing objects. And, you know, I saw like a traffic cone, you know, like some miscellaneous maybe construction debris because there's construction in the area. And so I see those police officers um, retreat up their staircase and it's just like a, a floodgate has been opened. I can see that that floods of people going up that staircase to that, you know, sort of that upper terrace area where that that wall leads. To. And so, you know, I wasn't aware at the time that right on the other side of the scaffolding in the staircase was where the main police line was. So at that moment, uh, when people are ascending up the staircase, what they're doing is they're getting behind where you know, that the most heavily armed and heavily trained officers are. And so they're able to, when they reach the actual building, there's no police officers there at all. There's no police officers at the doors because they're all sort of deployed at the bottom of the staircase. So, you know, that that is context I learned since then. That's, you know, sort of the, the story I put in the, the documentary I made. But when I, you know, I get up onto the staircase, I'm following this crowd of people and I see that that they are entering through a door, which is called the, the Senate wing door. That's where the, you know, first people sort of broke in. You know, you've seen the video where they have the two by four, they're smashing in the window. 
Uh, one of the Proud Boys has a police shield. He out smashing the window as well. And then, you know, they sort of kick the door open from the inside. And so when I arrive, you know, the windows are busted out. The door um, is open, but one of the panes is damaged. And there's just people going in and going in and going in. Where, where, <coughs> where are the cops at this time now? Because I, I had Tarek Johnson on, if it, I think it was last week or the week before. He's a former uh, Capitol Police. Yeah, yeah, I know who. I actually, actually recorded him later in the day. I'll, I'll so, uh, mention that when, when it gets that. But yeah. And he, he was telling me there were uh, several hundred cops there for the 100,000 plus, at least 100,000 people that were there. And it was just a, a joke. Like there was, there, was, there, was, it was, there was no chance. They had no chance of doing anything. They weren't set up for it. How many police do you see? And where do they go when they, when they back up? Like, and is there violence? Yeah, so, I mean, that's the other question. So um, when I arrived at the Senate wing door, there is no police there. Um, you know, I know from reviewing video from people like uh, Jay Nex and Brand Gutenschwager that basically the police who I had seen on the middle of the staircase, they retreated up to the stop, top of the staircase. But, you know, when, when they no longer have sort of like the bottleneck effect of the staircase and the scaffolding, they only hold the top of the staircase for literally 60 seconds before they just scatter and they just sort of wander off. Some go to the right, some go to the left. And none of them go to defend the doors, which the rioters now have, you know, free access to. There's there's no one between them and these doors. And, you know, you can if you look at the, the video, the surveillance video from when that Senate wing door was first breached, you can see, you know, like one officer runs up as the first person climbs through the window. He sprays him with pepper spray and then he runs back down the hallway. And so, you know. The, the police response at this door was pretty much non-existent. When I arrived, there was no police officers near the door. All right. And so um, I, I'm not even going to ask that question. I'm not going to ask that question. But so what, your progression as all this goes, like how far into the Capitol do you get? <laughs> yeah. So, so when I'm there at the door, um, I, I hear a voice from the, the person in front of me. I didn't recognize his face because he had a mask on, but I recognized his voice. It was um, Elijah Schaefer. So I recognize, you know, he's a journalist. He's covering this. He was telling people, if you go in the building, they have the right to shoot you. Now, as someone who is vaguely familiar with the Constitution and constitutional law, um, I was pretty sure that that was incorrect. You know, the police just can't shoot you. But when I walk through those doors, one of the first things I hear is like some loud bangs. I'm like, okay, maybe they are shooting people. So I walk back, <coughs> walk back out for a couple minutes. till it's obvious that they aren't just, you know, mowing down everyone who comes in. And, you know, I go back in, follow the crowd. So basically, um, I went almost as far as, uh, as, you know, any portions of the crowd in the Capitol. The, I guess the only place uh, I didn't go was I didn't, go where they were going on the floor of the Senate. I more headed the, the people moving towards the House side, and I didn't go with the, the group that ended up going towards the Speaker's lobby where Ashley Babbitt got shot. But when she was shot, I was like about a hallway and a, a staircase away from, from that lobby. A hallway and a staircase. So, that, so that's, I mean, you see nothing, but you hear the pop and you hear the reaction from um, the crowd? <clears throat> yeah, I, I didn't hear it, but it was pretty fast that the rumor starting spreading that you know someone's been shot and so i heard of it um see i i was close to the the sort of the main doors of the house chamber where people were were trying to beat the doors they're all packed into this sort of little vestibule trying to break in you know that's 
You might have seen like that the famous photo where there's like a pane of glass broken out and you can see the handgun pointing through. Mm-hmm. You know, that was at that door there where people were trying to to break into the um the house chamber. So, you know, there's a lot of banging there. Um, you know, I, I might have heard the shot, but I couldn't, you know, pick it out for you. And did, did you end up getting to the scene of the shooting or did you not make it that far in? Yeah, I did not. You know, um, so basically the, the group that went down the hallway where Ashley Babbitt was shot left from the, the group that was at these doors where I was. But, you know, I didn't see them leave. So when I heard there was a shooting, um, you know, I, I didn't really know where it was. Um, and also, <clears throat> if you've been at a protest or demonstration or riot or whatever you you can kind of get the sense that often the stories that are passed around of what's happening on you know the other side of things you know they they tend to get distorted somewhat so <clears throat> when when i first heard about the shooting and you know, i was trying to get some more information ask questions i ran into a couple people later who you know had seen stuff or or been there and so you know, I, I was trying to ask some questions to people to figure out, hey, is this, you know, something that really happened? All right. And uh, I mean, do you, you learn that it is, in fact, something that really happened the day of? Yeah. So I, I didn't learn that until I was actually outside the Capitol and I ran into, you know, John Sullivan, Jane X. People were asking him. I, I'm not really sure why people, you know, sort of kind of confronted him as he was, you know, walking down the stairs. They're like, hey, are you even a Trump supporter? And he was like, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a member of the press, you know, he, he opened his jacket to, to show the press he was wearing on his uh, bulletproof vest and he pulled his phone out and started showing people that the video that he had captured of Ashley Babbitt being shot. So that was when I was like, OK, someone actually has video of this than someone who is there. So that's, you know, pretty, pretty good chance that this is an accurate story. Uh, so and, and how does it come to be that you then end up leaving and then we're going to get into the aftermath? So yeah, how, how long do you spend in there? When do you leave? And yeah, what do so you I, I don't remember the exact time. I think it's some somewhere around an hour that I was in the building for. Um, so I ended up they they ended up deploying tear gas sort of at the house chamber to break out the people who were there after Ashley Babbitt had been shot. Um, so, you know, it's tear gas billowing through the, the halls of Congress, not not something uh Many people have witnessed, but you know, I ended up moving back towards the the rotunda, which is in the center of the building, with the rest of the crowd. You know, there are people smoking marijuana there. Um, you know, that's where the picture of me is, sort of, you know, with my foot on the statue, leaning over to take video of this this scuffle that broke out between like a clump of the rioters there and the police who are holding this entrance. And it was just, you know, the one of the strangest, strangest phenomenon I had seen where the people just, you know, packed together and were like pushing as a group, um, you know, attacking these police there. So I was up there, you know, trying to film it. So I guess, I guess I missed, <laughs> I just jumped over one of, one of the most important things I witnessed, which was, I don't know if you recall officer, I believe it's Harry Dunn um, from the January 6th committee from CNN, from whatnot. Um, so I as she was one of the few journalists to document some of that, the encounter between him and the Oath Keepers. And, you know, as we know, he, he gave one story to the FBI saying, yeah, they were helping me. And then later he went back, changed his testimony to, oh, no, they weren't helping me. But what I saw was that there were some members of the crowd who were very angry at Officer Dunn. He was by himself. He had a rifle. He looked like he was about to start shooting people. And that the Oath Keepers, that they're in militia gear, I recognize them by that. You know, I, you know, I didn't know what organization they were with. 
they're sort of standing between, you know, this, this uh, armed officer and the people who are angry at him and sort of trying to calm both sides down. So that was one of, you know, the, the scenes I witnessed there that was sort of <laughs> something that, you know, I think not, not uh, many other journalists witness. You know, you can, you can find lots of footage of the violence against the police. You can find lots of footage of, uh, <laughs> you know, even them smoking marijuana in the rotunda or attacking the house door. But this incident with Officer Dunn and the Oath Keepers, there is uh, very little footage of that. So, you know, that that's one of the things I captured that, you know, not, not very many other journalists did at all. So, yeah, I ended up, you know, following some of the the rioters who were wandering through Speaker Pelosi's office. You know, there's uh, Big O Barnett sort of posing uh, for the the photographers there. I walked past him, didn't know who he was, didn't know, you know, that the prominence that that he would that he would, you know, be elevated to with his his picture. Um, But I ended up, you know, going into the rotunda, the police, I could get the sense that the police were kind of starting to to get there get their game together you know uh, get organized because the the um the crowd who had spread out throughout the capital were kind of you know starting to gather back in the rotunda so you know sort of filling up <laughs> and so i was like okay you know i'm i'm making a conscious effort to sort of stay out of the police's way you know i'm not going on the front lines anywhere where they're breaking through you know right there and, you know, I'm also not going to stick around until they're literally pushing people out because I'm, you know, trying to, to stay out of their way, you know, document stuff without um, being, becoming a part of it as much as possible. <clears throat> so I ended up uh, leaving through the, the Columbus stores to the, the east side of the Capitol there, um, you know, sort of the opposite side I had come from. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> I guess sort of as I was just about to leave, um, you know, there's an officer to the right in the sort of chamber where the, the doors exit to to the portico outside. And, you know, there's an officer to the side basically saying, you know, get out through the store. We want people to move out of the building. But then the officers who are actually at the door, you know, shut the door so people couldn't get out. So I just sort of waited there for a couple minutes until they, they opened it again. And then, you know, I was finally able to exit. So you exit. At, the, at this time, you probably have no idea how, well, how the media has already started whipping this up. You have no idea what a story this is becoming, I presume. <coughs> Did, when, yeah, when yeah. You... so I had, it, was, it was interesting. I had actually, there was a TV on in uh, Pelosi's office. And so I looked and there was, you know, it seemed to be live coverage of the crowd. And I was sort of surprised because when I was over by the house, um, I had looked out the window and seen a plaza where there's a group of police officers, maybe 50 to 100, and they're just standing around. I didn't see any crowd there. It was just like a group of police officers. So I kind of assumed, okay, well, if the police officers are just standing there, it must be because they've sort of, you know, already cleared the grounds. So when I saw on the TV that there are still a huge number of people out there, I was kind of surprised because, you know, I had assumed that the police just standing around meant that, you know, that they had sort of done whatever they're going to do. So when I get outside to the east side, you know, there are certainly a, a much smaller number of people there um, than there, there had been on the west side, but, you know, still a, a sizable group there. All right. And now um, what do you do for the rest of the day? And I guess we've got to get into when you get arrested. But when you get arrested, when you turn over your footage to the FBI, what ha- you get out and then you realize that, holy shit, this was a lot more or this is becoming a lot more than a protest. What do you do? to the end of the day and when do you get home and when do you know that you're in big, big fucking trouble? Yeah. So basically 
I sort of stick around um, in that area. Sort of, there's you know the large portico, the large steps going up there. So I, you know, went down to the bottom of the steps. That's that's where I uh, <coughs> ran into John Sullivan, as I described. And also something interesting I was recording there was someone had brought like a little PA system, and they basically had an open mic where people were coming up, you know, sort of saying, "Oh, I'm mad about the lockdowns," or "I'm I'm mad about this," "I'm happy about this." One lady was like, you know, um, I'm glad Trump, uh, looks like I'm out of focus again. I'm glad Trump founded the Space Force because, you know, the aliens are coming and I'm glad Trump is, uh, is founded the Space Force to fight the aliens that are coming. So There's, you know, sort of a, a broad range of, uh, of what people are saying on the mic there. Um, <clears throat> and I guess one of, one of the sort of interesting things that I noted was Tarek Johnson. Um, you know, I didn't know who he was at the time. All I could see was that, you know, he was a police officer in a blue uniform. He had a, you know, red MAGA cat, the cat that was sitting on his head. And he was sort of leading uh, a group of, um, of the, the heavily armored riot police down that staircase and sort of out through the crowd. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, when, when do you head home? <clears throat> yeah, so, so it wasn't... Uh, too long after that, and I was probably outside the Capitol recording video for maybe 40 minutes or so, you know, recording some of this open mic stuff, recording people uh, letting out tight, letting out air from the tires of a couple police vehicles that were there. Um, you know, that I thought that was sort of interesting because the, the news media later reported that the tires were slashed, but it was actually just, you know, an old guy with a multi-tool uh, letting the air out. Um, but I realized, oh man, if I don't leave now, I'm going to miss my bus. You know, I figure out where I need to go. I run to the nearest metro station, get back, and end up, you know, fortunately making it on on the bus before it uh, departs back to North Carolina. So basically, when I got on the bus, the first thing I did was, you know, download and uh, transcode my footage so I could upload it. Um, <coughs> you know, when I get home, I upload it to to Facebook, to Rumble. I didn't upload it to YouTube because I kind of knew they. Uh, they like to censor stuff and I didn't didn't really have a channel at that point that I uploaded to um and so you know that was that was sort of my priority when I got home was to upload this video I had captured the, the that full was the purpose of capturing the video was to upload it the full two plus hours unedited you just go upload the entire thing yeah so I uploaded it and I also split it up into clips of the um <laughs> of some of you know the most newsworthy moments or whatever where I had captured something and that's when I actually created my Twitter account so I could, you know, upload that in a, a thread format. Because prior to that point, I was, I was not active on Twitter. So, you know, after I'd uploaded this video, you know, there's, there's uh, the message that I put along with it. Basically, you know, some notes on what I witnessed, a note on, on why I was there, which was to document it, not to join in. Um, and so that, that day, January 7th, I also reached out to the FBI. And so... I think they had already um, created their January 6th specific um, tip line at that point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this was a two-hour video in HD. I, I think the file was too large to upload it directly. So I ended up just sending it in through their normal tip system saying, hey, I have this video, you know, let me know how I can get it to you. Interesting. Now, are you sending it to them? because you think you might be in trouble or because you no. think it might assist them in doing what they need to do? Or, um, yeah, I guess like some people are going to say, why the heck would you send the footage in if it's going to incriminate other people? 
Like what, what, was the, what was the thought process in terms of why you even sent it to them in the first place? Yeah, so my thought process is, you know, right what I put in the tip, which is, hey, I saw people assaulting police officers and I saw evidence of property damage. That was the two things where I was like, okay, you know, that the FBI, you know, over the course of 2020, they certainly had not been arresting um, all of the people who are engaged in rioting, but, you know, they had arrested like the, the guy uh, who like bashed a police officer in the head with a hammer in Portland or whatever. So, you know, I thought that the assaults and the, the vandalism would be something that they are interested in, even though, you know, they, they generally seem not to be interested in much else. Okay. And um, you send it in through the FBI tip line. Uh, when do you get a response? Uh, when do you get a response on that? <coughs> and when do you find out that you're on the list? <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I left my name, I left my email address, I left my phone number. Um, I was expecting them to sort of get back in touch with me uh, fairly rapidly, um, but it wasn't, I think it was uh, a week later. Um, it wasn't until they had, it wasn't until there was a viral image of me that was posted on the New York Times Magazine Instagram account, um, where, you know, I'm up on the, the base of the statue filming this assault on the police, obviously in the picture, you can't see the the assault on police because he's pointing the camera at me instead. But you know that that picture was was uh, part of a viral post. So apparently the FBI got a lot of tips by people who knew me or whatnot or or recognized me. And so I think it for some for whatever reason, um, you know they they didn't open an investigation when I sent a tip in. They but they did open an investigation when these other people sent in tips about me. Steven, is that you right there? Yes. You're wearing, are you wearing glasses? Do you, oh, hold on. You're wearing glasses now. I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you can see from this picture, you know, it looks like I'm wearing all black, but I'm actually wearing a green coat. Okay. It looks like a, an American flag is tied to your genitalia, but I think that's just the <laughs> yeah, person below just you. Yeah, it's a flagpole. Um, okay. And what's in your hand? Is that your phone? Yeah. So basically, you know, I had, I had my, uh, you know, the camera and my helmet, but the, the rioters had sort of pushed the police back around the corner. So I pulled out, out my smartphone, which is sort of a backup for me. And so I was reaching around the corner to try to capture with my smartphone what, what I didn't think would be captured on my helmet cam. Dude, I'm looking at that picture and I'm looking at you now and I would never be able to identify you in that photograph. Um, so <laughs> yeah, the I think Times... you could uh, zoom in, you know. I, I'm zooming in. It looks, like, it, looks like have... photo. Nah, it looks like you have different color hair and facial hair. So the, the New York Times posts that photo. They don't know who you are, but people identify you from that photo and then report you to the FBI. Yeah. And so <laughs> then, um, you know, one day... It had been like a week. I hadn't heard back. I guess I was like, I wasn't sure if I was going to hear back because I assumed they would get in touch with me pretty quickly since they had my contact info. And then a week later, they show up at my house. Um, I was at work, so they, they came over to, to my work and they, they had a, like a sheaf of, of documents and I could see they had um, screenshots of the pipe bomber. And so, you know, the first thing they asked me was not, were you at the Capitol? It was, oh, do you know anything about the pipe bomb? Which, um, you know, I, I sort of got the idea that they uh, weren't being entirely honest. So obviously, I did what any American should do and exercise my Sixth Amendment right to counsel. So I left their card, I got a lawyer, arranged an interview, and basically, yeah, went to their office and uh, did an interview on the recommendation of my lawyer. I like the fact that when you say lawyer, it actually sounds like you're saying liar. <laughs> um, 
liar. Liar. So you, so you, you they, they come to see you. You say, no, thank you. Get a lawyer. And then you agree to do a sit down. What was, when you did the sit down, you, I presume your lawyer's present. Was it clear that they were investigating you for wrongdoing or did it feel still like an explorative sort of investigative interview? Um, you know, it, it did feel sort of explorative because, you know, they did ask me about my journalistic history. You know, I told them basically everything I told you with my past history, you know, <laughs> working with others. And then also I had started, um, you know, covering covering events locally in Raleigh. So I, I went through all that same stuff, you know, was was uh, trying to be as, as open and honest as possible. You know, that FBI agent even described me as uh, forthright in his testimony. Um, but yeah, I answered all their questions and, um, <coughs> yeah, there, there wasn't, you know, like the definite sense that, that they are going to charge me, but you know, my lawyer had made me aware like, Hey, these are the statutes they, they might charge you under mother. At, when you sit down with them, you knew at this time that they were charging everyone under the sun, or was this still early on that they hadn't actually been charging that many people yet? I don't recall. I believe this was in February or March of 2021. So I'm not really sure how many people they had charged at that point. Um, you know, I think they are focusing on, you know, that the ones that had been in the news, basically. And apparently I, I qualified for that. But, uh, you know, a lot of the ones they're arresting at that point were, you know, people who had assaulted police or, um, you know, were the QAnon shaman or whatever. Um, but I don't think they had you know, started, I guess, sort of mass arresting the, the hundreds and thousands of people. All right. Uh, when do they when do they formally charge you? Yeah, so I believe it was in March that they let us know, hey, we're going to charge you. And then in April, wow. we arranged a date for me to turn myself in at the, the federal court in Raleigh. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what my lawyer was was thinking would happen. But I I don't think he was expecting them to, you know, haul me inside, you know, chain me up and basically leave me in a cell for a couple hours until, you know, the court hearing because the, the government wasn't even asking for me to be detained. You know, I was released on my own recognizance, but for whatever reason, you know, in those uh, two or three hours before the court hearing, I had to sit in a cell with my legs chained together. And then when I went before the judge, you know, they, they had chains on my arms chained to my legs, a whole uh, rigmarole when they, they weren't even asking for me to be detained. Makes no sense. Um, okay, so you, you, you plead not guilty, I presume. Do they ever offer you a plea deal before going to trial? Yeah, so they did offer me a plea deal pretty early on. Um, it was a better plea deal than they, they uh, started offering people later because I think they're trying to, you know, get some, some cases moved through quickly. Um, so they actually what they offered was three years probation. They would not recommend any uh, any prison time. And so what they wanted me to do was sign a statement saying I was parading, picketing or demonstrating in the Capitol and, you know, plead guilty to that charge, which is parading, demonstrating or picketing in the building. And as someone who is not parading, demonstrating or picketing, that was just completely off the table. You know, you could potentially have um you know, arranged to plead guilty to entering or remaining in a restricted area, <coughs> which I'm not sure what statement of facts they would have wanted me to sign for that. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to go to trial because I, I wanted to uh, tell my story to the court and I sort of had my day in court. Um, I guess more of an idealistic thing because I, I wasn't expecting 
um, you know, the, <laughs> the court or the jury to go my way when I went to trial. But I guess, yeah, I wanted to go to trial because um, well, you know, that's, that's just sort of how the, the justice system is supposed to work. Well, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, and there's been a number of people who accepted plea deals were criticized, but now seeing what's been going on, say, well, I made the right decision in retrospect. Three years probation, no jail time. Um, yeah, that's say, what they offered. Thanks, but no thanks. Let's go to trial on the prating and picketing. What were the other three charges again? Yeah, so there's entering and remaining in the restricted area. That's uh, that the biggest charge, Class A misdemeanor. And I believe the other three are Class B misdemeanors. There's disorderly or disruptive conduct in a restricted area. There's disorderly conduct in a Capitol building. And there's parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. And so you say no, thank you. Let's schedule the trial. They schedule the trial. It was a trial by jury. Yeah, yeah, that's what we chose. We're, yeah. So were, I and I guess we we put it off for a while. You know, the government and us were both fine with continuing it. Um, I guess it wasn't until um, I guess spring or or summer of 2020 that they assigned a new um, prosecuting attorney to the case. And the new attorney was like, we don't want to continue anymore. We want to schedule a trial date as soon as possible. Who was the judge? Did you say Judge Sullivan? Judge Kelly. Judge Kelly. Oh, Judge Kelly's been doing some wonderful things in some of the other cases. I've okay. heard. Um, so you say schedule the trial. What does jury selection look like for the trial? If, are you allowed to get into that? Yeah, I mean, I think I can describe the process. So basically, they, they have uh, the, you know, the uh, 6C member jury panel come into the courtroom um that the judge has a list of questions which his list of questions was actually much shorter than the list of questions that the government and us jointly proposed um so he had a list of questions that he asked any everybody and he had them basically take notes of you know which questions they would answer yes to. so basically like you know do you know the defendant have you watched video of january 6th you know any lawyers you know any police officers you know did you or, or anyone you're close to work um, near the Capitol or, you know, live there or whatever? So there's questions in that genre. And so, you know, then he went through the jurors one by one and they basically did a, sort of a, the process they use for sidebars, which they would play white noise in the courtroom. And then, you know, the, the lawyers and me would pick up our phones and then the judge would use that to sort of ask, you know, some more details from each individual juror about you know that the responses to the questions that they had indicated yes for. These questions seem so uh, utterly generic. Uh, it, do you get a palpable political bias feeling from the jury and the final selected jurors? <coughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, it, it was consistent from uh, with what you would expect from a DC jury in terms of that the professions the political leanings, everything. Just, I mean, it's, you know, it's, wait, it's 60, from a selection 60, of the DC population. 60 people, 54 Democrats, and and maybe maybe one independent. Well, I don't know what the, Oh my goodness. Okay, so you get your jury selection. Uh, are you allowed saying the demographic, men, women, white, black, age, you know, roughly? <coughs> um, I mean, I, anyone walking into the courtroom could have seen. So I think it was uh, about half and half. Um, you know, uh, a balance of men, women, older. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if there were any that were that young that made it on. Um, white, black, Hispanic. Okay, so if, if, um, there was a variety. Ethnic, ethnically uh, diverse, but politically probably not so much. 
or ideologically, I should say, what does this trial look like? How many days does the trial go on for? What evidence is adduced? And just explain this, what, what, what many are going to think is a kangaroo court show trial. What was the evidence that they adduced uh, to the jury and how long did this trial last? Yeah, so so after so jury selection was a whole day and then there were another two days of testimony. Um, so the, the government's argument was basically... Um, you know, Stephen Horn just decided to be a journalist when it was convenient for him, you know, when he le- needed a legal defense. And actually, he was he was just there to be a part of the mob. So that was I got, the- I got to stop you there. I knew that that's the argument to which the defense is obviously I uploaded this footage. I sent it to you before I was charged with anything for your assistance. How the hell can you raise? I, I presume that's what you raised as a defense other than the journalistic defense. But I yeah, sent it I mean, to we, you. We did. <coughs> We, we did get that in there. Um, unfortunately, we were not able to get in the statement that I had published along with the video on the night of January 6th, which was basically, I was there to document it, not participate in the protest. So, you know, Sorry. the judge ruled that that was hearsay because it was, you know, my own statement. So they used a lot of statements uh, against me because there's an exception to the hearsay rule. But then we were not allowed to use my own statements for me, which I'm, I'm sure you are somewhat familiar with that rule. Uh, I'm sort of uh, on the verge of hitting my own computer listening to this. The judge, Judge Kelly, there was an objection to the evidence as to the accompanying statement that you yourself provided when communicating the video unsolicited to the FBI and not knowing that you'd ever be yeah, charged. Yeah, so this was, this was uh, the statement that I made when publishing it to the public. So when okay. I... Published it on on Facebook, on Rumble. You know, there's a statement that went along with it. Where I basically said, "Hey, here's here's what I was doing. I was documenting it. I wasn't part of the protest. I wasn't doing it, you know, just for uh, a thrill. But you know, that that particular statement, which was attached to the video where I posted it, um, you know, was not admissible as evidence." I, I presume that that's a basis for an upcoming appeal. Of of are, are you appealing this decision? I'm not planning to at this point. Well, you, but you don't know. You don't know what, what, what. How much time are you facing? Like, are, does this potentially carry jail time? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Um, it, it really depends on what the government will ask for. You know, some defendants on these charges, the government has been fined with like home detention or or some you know halfway house or something that's not you know full prison. But other defendants, you know, they've asked for multiple months in prison um, for for these same charges. Um, I, I'm flabbergasted, flabbergasted because the reason why I presume the judge says, no, we're not going to let, we're not going to let that <laughs> statement with the original publication in is to compel you to testify in your own defense so that you can then offer that. Did you testify in your own defense? Yeah. Okay. And so you got, and so, so we weren't allowed to bring it in, in my testimony either. Well, I don't understand what sense that makes anymore, Stephen. I'm it's, I'm just a lawyer. I'm, I'm not particularly uh, that familiar with the the rules of evidence, but apparently it has to do with you know the hearsay rule. But it's not hearsay. The government has some. It's not hearsay when the person is there. for uh, you know opposite party adverse admissions. Okay, so look, I I. I... <laughs> I, I'm flabbergasted. I didn't ever, I never practiced criminal law. I studied it. I'm flabbergasted. I'm going to have, Barnes and I are going to talk about this Sunday night and I'm going to ask the questions that I'd be asking. A, it's not hearsay because you're there to, to bring the out of court statement into court. B, just say it viva voce in your testimony. How, the, why did you upload it? This is why I uploaded it as confirmed by my statement the night <laughs> I uploaded it. Holy crap. Okay. 
Yeah, so I was allowed to to say it in my testimony, but I wasn't allowed to say this is exactly what I said, and you know this is the post. So I was allowed right. to testify as no. my motive, but I wasn't allowed to bring in that post to sort of reinforce it. Makes no sense. That makes no sense. Maybe there's something I don't know in terms of DC criminal law or federal. That makes no sense. The question <laughs> is, what did you do the evening of? Because you're a witness. You're the defendant. This is what I did, and here's okay. Deep breath. That makes no sense. So we're moving on. It doesn't really have, they're going to say, well, you got it in by the gist of it. Um, and the jury doesn't motivate their conviction. They just say guilty. But uh, so what was the other evidence? I mean, uh, basically the, the crown or the crown, sorry, the, the prosecution really only needs to pr prove that you were there willingly and that, you know, let the, let the jury d believe your defense or not. They went for two days in prosecution. Uh, so there is a full day of prosecution testimony. You know, they had a uh, metropolitan or they had a Capitol police officer, you know, talking about what they're doing in the Capitol and what their their uh, defenses were and what signs they put up and whatnot. They had a metropolitan uh, officer come up who was, I think, in charge of the officers who I was filming being assaulted from that statue, from the base of that statue. They had her come up and testify. Well, every member, every person in that rotunda was an equal threat to us because we we didn't know who was so and you know and our one of our uh, questions in the the cross examination was like well you know you you see this this photographer who is across you know basically i'm i'm on the base of the statue the photographer is up on something you know on the other side of this doorway who is taking the picture of me you know like <laughs> was he there like was he also counting counted among this but you know I, i'm not sure uh, how much how much of that argument we are sort of able to get in in the minds of the jury because you know that the metropolitan police officer you know had no idea who anyone was dude you know, you're, including you're, me you're an enemy of the dc jury pool the, your, your your conviction is all but guaranteed but i don't think everyone fully appreciated it that early on the, 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 funny you should say it do you know who the photographer that captured you capturing the scene is do you know the person's name yeah so his name is ashley gilbertson he also goes by ash gilbertson um, he was actually one of the first to enter the Capitol through the Senate wing door after the rioters had busted it open. Um, you know, he was interviewed for the, the HBO documentary, um, I think like four hours at the Capitol or something. And, you know, he, he seemed to be fine telling his story of, you know, entering through this, this door, going inside the Capitol, wandering all around, you know, without, without any fear that the FBI was going to come after him for that. Uh, and did the FBI come after Ashley Gilbertson? No. Was he, he was never arrested. So the dude who captured you capturing the scene, both journalists, I guess, did, was he credentialed? Stephen, did he have a little press pass? Um, <coughs> so we, we never got like a full list of, of who the members were that of the press gallery were at the time, but um, I don't believe so. I'm just going to see if he I was more it. of a freelance, a freelance photographer, um, not someone who would be regularly covering Congress. Un so I mean, the, the arguments they made along those lines were, you know, not even consistent with each other. You know, at one point they would be arguing, well, obviously any uh, legitimate journalist, you know, who's a member of the press gallery would be entering the Capitol through one of the normal entrances through the security processes, you know, have their bag searched, whatever. But as we know, you know, there are many journalists who entered through 
the exact same doors I did, whether or not they had press credentials, but they were primarily members of the mainstream media and none of the members of the mainstream media who have entered through the Senate wing door, the Columbus stores, the West Terrace door, all of these doors are doors they would not be normally allowed to enter through. All these doors are doors that had been breached. So I think if the, the government were logically consistent in their, their arguments of, you know, what, what, apply, what behavior applies under these offenses, they could have charged any of those mainstream media journalists who either were outside where the police lines were covering that, which was technically in the re restricted area, or especially the ones who entered the Capitol, you know, according to their arguments, they could have charged every one of those and they just haven't. Ashley Gilbertson looks like he's Australian, that he was, yes. he was, he was independently um, hired or contracted with the New York Times for, for some war <laughs> coverage. Yeah, so, so I'm not sure if he was, uh, you know, uh, commissioned on that day or whatever, if you were just freelance and sold his yeah, photos but, but, to know, them later. But yeah, that, that, that that's back, who was taking those pictures. That, that goes back to the, the you know, the, what is a journalist? And, and most people agree it's an activity <laughs> and not necessarily a profession. Was he credentialed? I, I mean, I'd love to know, but it, it won't change a damn thing. If he's working with the New York Times, he's an ally and you are independent. They won't even recognize you as a journalist. When you, when you testified in your own defense, did you make any statements that you said, oh, that, you know, they, they asked a good question and I may have just done something to harm myself in front of the jury? Did they score any points that <coughs> even you recognized? Um, well, one thing they're asking me about was like they, you know, they subpoenaed my whole Facebook record. And so they're asking about a bunch of conversations I had with a friend of mine who is a, a Trump supporter. And he was that's sending not, me and that's tons not of here screenshots <laughs> of, you know, posts he was seeing or stuff about the election fraud or stop the seal. So they, they were asking me about those and kind of, you know, implying um, guilt by association to some extent where... You know, I was endorsing that. They also brought up how, you know, in one of these messages, I said, like, I'm out protesting in an abortion clinic. because You know, the church I attend, there's there's an abortion clinic in Raleigh where we go out, you know, members of the church go out every Saturday and, you know, hold signs, try to talk to people and stuff. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that that was not something that resonated positively with any of the jury members. I You need to stop there and we're going to flesh this out. They got into evidence Facebook messages that you had with either public posts or messages. It's not going to make much of a difference. Yeah, messages. They got messages in as evidence without excluding that on hearsay basis. Uh, whereas the, the message with which you posted the video to Facebook was not allowed on the basis of hearsay. Yeah, because there's, there's an exception to the hearsay rule for messages that are by the opposite party yeah. that are adverse to them. So basically, uh, adverse, th uh, this is one of the reasons why, you know, all lawyers in America who are, you know, have any shred of decency will tell you don't talk to the police. One of the reasons is because if you talk to the police, they that that police officer can be called as a witness against you if you made some statement that can be used against you. But, but you and your defense cannot call that police officer to say something positive you said because. One is an exception to the hearsay rule that the government can use. The other one, there's no exception for the defense to use statements that are beneficial to them. So, I, and I understand, I know, I know of that distinction. It's, it's, it's party admissions against, uh, admissions against the interests of the party. Fine. But it's also sounds like this is not even relevant to the case. This is just character, uh, impugning your character through something that's totally unrelated. All right. So you protested at a, at a, at a freaking uh, abortion clinic is strictly irrelevant to your act, act actions and activities the day of. I mean, that's like, that's like 
evidence of character, which is typical. <laughs> okay, um, so they got that in, and you're protesting abortion, which for anyone in, in D.C. is going to be uh, a holy sacrilege. Uh, how, how, long did the, how long did the trial go on for before closing arguments? Yeah, so basically their case was a day. Um, our counter case was about half a day, a little over. And then by that time they had done uh, um, their counter rebuttal after our case um, and then did the jury instructions. That was basically the end of the third day. So they didn't start deliberating until, you know, the fourth uh, morning of the fourth day on, uh, you know, the next Monday. Yep. How long did they deliberate for? Uh, about 80 minutes. 80 minutes. 80 minutes, an hour and a half, not even. That's like, that's like four episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So when, when, I, when my kids ask how much time is left, we, we go by episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So twi- that's, that's three and a half episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They just sit there, let's chill, have a cup of coffee. Guilty on all four counts. What, um, what does it feel like? Uh, like it's, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to infuse the impending thoughts of doom and you, I presume you have them. They come in oh, and Oh, it's they like say, a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Because now it's now it's uh, behind me. Before I was like, you know, looming in front of me. I knew it was going to happen, but it, you know, hadn't happened yet. So now it's behind me. That's like, yeah, I'm but, like but dancing on air. Well, but you're but you're facing jail time. Like, how? Yeah. How do you... Well, I was already expecting that. Are you a religious person in general? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I yeah. Mean... I was certainly raised very religious. Go to church. You know. Yeah. My dad's a pastor. So. You have a faith, I guess, that at some point this this absolute I'm calling this an injustice. People can call me biased or whatever you want. You have faith that at some point this this wrong will be righted. Are you I guess can we'll you see or the country could collapse. You never know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if the rule is that you have to wait for sentencing prior to appealing. Um, I think that might be the case, but I'll, 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 I'll defer to those who actually know American criminal law. Uh, when is your sentencing scheduled for? I believe Jan- early January. Are they going to do it on January 6th just to just to no, a little, I, I a think it's gotcha. January 10th. Now, uh, this is outrageous. I'm going to see if I've missed any questions. This is absolutely outrageous. You just got convicted. When, when was it? A few days ago? Hold yeah, on, when, when so did you on Monday, Monday morning. Oh so the trial, I mean, this is like you got convicted Monday morning. That's when the news broke. The trial was last week. This, this hasn't made sufficient news. I'm, this has not made sufficient news, and this is not uh, generating the outrage. It absolutely must generate. You've been paying for your own criminal lawyers for, throughout all of this? Yes. Yeah. How, how, am I allowed asking <laughs> how much? Five digits? Uh, probably, probably over 100 grand when it's all said and done. How are you affording that? Well, I started working when I was 10, so I've been uh, saving for a while. This is, I, I'm, oh, this is, this is all, it's, um, uh, so it's, 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 whether or not it's over, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's damn near a hundred grand. You paid criminal lawyers. You've been convicted now on four counts, whether or not this goes to appeal, um, afterwards have, I mean, I, and I'm not going to ask that discussion. Holy shit. Uh, this is, this is crazy. W- what's your family reacting like? I presume you have a good relationship with your, with your parents and siblings. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think most of them were probably expecting that this verdict as well. You know, uh, some of them are definitely more upset than others. Um, more upset than me, definitely. Um, yeah, because 
for me, I, I was I, this this was what I came into it expecting. You know, my uh, my life philosophy is sort of if you expect the worst, you'll never be disappointed. So I was expecting the worst, and I'm not disappointed. I'm sharing your give send go right here, and I'm gonna sh I'm gonna show it. I just make sure that I'm sharing the the, the proper one. Holy. Holy shit. Okay, this this is this is your uh, this is your bona fide um Yeah. Okay, well we're we're going we're going to fix this uh and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to partake in fixing it myself. But th there's nothing that can there's nothing that can write this wrong. Like and I said this the other day like in Canada they are now trying some of the the the, the truckers or not the truckers, the people who participated in the trucker convoy. Uh this pa this pastor Artur Pavlovsky, do you know, are you familiar with him? Um, to, to some extent, I haven't followed the story in detail. I know, he, he, was, he was jailed for, for giving a sermon uh, to a group of protesters, which they then said was mischief. And they charged him, arrested him, jailed him, jailed him again on breaching his bail conditions, spent 50 some odd days in jail. He just got sentenced the day before yesterday, or maybe yesterday, I forget, uh, to 60 days in jail, which was time served because his time before in remand counts for time and a half or whatever. Um, and I said, like, oh, that's great. In, in, in a world of tyranny, justice is merely the cessation of the injustice. You're still going through the injustice. You've been convicted. You're facing jail time. You ha did, did your lawyers give you an idea as to reasonably what? Like years, months? I think my lawyers are probably too optimistic. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't really know what they asked for. They, they certainly could ask for months. And then, you know, we'll we'll make our argument and present what we can and, and uh, you know, sort of who knows what what the judge will uh, come to? Has any um, legacy media? Oh, it's not. I don't know. I'm putting legacy in quotes. Has any mainstream media approached you about your story? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think there was uh, one Washington Post reporter who is in there for some of the trial. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think she did reach out to my lawyer before publishing their story, but with, with a case like that, it's. You know, they're, they're basically going to publish whatever article they publish. And yeah, if you want, you can get a couple sentences in there. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we ended up not replying to her before, uh, before the article was published. I was actually a little surprised that the local mainstream media here in North Carolina, they're sort of uh, um, basically all the major newspapers and, you know, Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, they're all owned by McClatchy, which is, you know, the huge corporation that owns all the newspapers and uh, you know, America, but I was, I was surprised that the, the article they published was actually, you know, kind of balanced to, uh, to have my side of it in there as well. There, there is no balance that is not uh, abject outrage. There, there's no balance to this. This is, this is insane. And the fact that other journalists don't understand it, it's insane. The fact that they brought charges in the first place is outrageous. And a conviction on all four counts in front of a jury that would convict a ham sandwich um, okay, so hold on one second. I know I had another question that I forgot to ask. You have the GoFundMe set up. You're waiting sentencing. It's in January. They, they, why is it in January? What month are we in? Why, why does it wait? Why are they waiting so long for sentencing? I don't know. I mean, that, that might have just been the, the next availability that the judge had those in sort of the period he was uh, looking at. And so for everybody knows, it's the jury that convicts. The judge issues the sentence. This is the same Judge Kelly who... I'm sure you're going to go do a deep dive on now, or maybe you won't. I'm, I'm aware of some of that, the controversial rulings he's made. 
Um, I don't know what, what more questions I can possibly have here. I'm going to go to locals and just see if I didn't miss any questions. Everyone in locals, you know, rumble. I'm looking at the chat, get some questions in that I, um, that I, that I, that I see if I, I had one more question. Okay. Um, this is, this is, this is absolutely outrageous. You, you look like, um, I don't know. You're, it's nice to be optimistic and hope for, and well, hope, hope for the worst. So you're never disappointed. This is, this is. This is crazy. Uh, what's your next step? What are you, what are you doing now in the interim? Um, pretty much the same thing as doing before, which is just, you know, focusing on covering more local stories. Um, I also released a documentary recently, um, basically sort of laying out the series of events from, uh, you know, sort of the perimeter breach at the beginning when the rioting happened covering the series of events, you know, with the police retreating, the flashbangs, them pushing the sky off, leading up to the breach of the Senate wing door, which is sort of the, the first breach of the actual Capitol building, to sort of put that story together, because there's elements that have been covered disparately, but no one had really sort of put them in a sequence to, to uh, explain, you know, sort of how this series of events led to, you know, the actual Capitol building itself being breached. I'm going to save. Do you have uh, you have five more minutes? Sure. Okay. I'm, everyone on Rumble, I'm going to save my question. I remember what it was now. It's not a private question. We'll save the answer. No, I'm going to save the question. Come on over to Rumble. We're going to have a bit of the after party, um, but we'll get some questions from the locals community uh, because I know they're going to have a few for you. Uh, come to locals, vivabarneslaw.locals.com for a few um, exclusive questions and, and q and I'm just going to read the chat in Rumble to make sure. Uh, why not a change of venue? Did you, did your lawyers ask for a change of venue? I mean, I know the answer is they're not going to give you one, but did they ask for one? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we even pursued, you know, doing that sort of research and making that motion just because none of the other cases were successful. Irish Marine says, God bless you, Stephen. There's no question. I mean, they're, 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 even if there's justice at the end of the day, this is wild and people don't understand it and they need to pay attention to it and real media real media sorry real fake news media the legacy media has to pay attention to this uh, and I'll, I'll 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 scream as loud as i can okay we're going to end it on rumble come on over to locals i'm going to ask you my question there and then uh, we'll take some questions from our, our locals exclusive thank you in advance for everybody who's watching now but to be continued vivabarneslaw.locals.com Stephen, now we're, we're exclusive to locals this is all going to be public afterwards, so don't. Uh, we're not. We're not private now. Yeah. This is, yeah. <laughs> um, I asked you this on Twitter, and I'm not sure. Maybe you looked into it or or, or double checked, or maybe you want to look into it. Did the January 6th committee call you as a as a witness? Did you offer to testify to the January 6th committee? <coughs> I would certainly have been willing to uh, testify for the January 6th committee, but uh, all they did was uh, subpoena my bank records try to subpoena a phone number that was associated with one of my bank records, um, get me debanked from Truist, presumably because, you know, they had been subpoenaed by the January 6th committee and, uh, yeah, never asked me to testify. I, you know, I'm not aware of them, them using any of my video. Hold on. Did I, people are saying, did I say, did I say go fund me? Well, I obviously meant the give, send, go because that's what it's called. So if I said go fund me, it's only because of trauma. So they, they tried to fuck with you. <laughs> so I'm not swear. I'm sorry. I should not do that. They tried to screw with you and the January 6th committee and continue to ruin your life. Never called you as a witness. Uh, are you aware of whether or not any of your footage made it into any formal proceedings, any January 6th uh, montages? 
Did they use your footage for anything? I don't believe the January 6th committee used it for anything. I believe this was used in um, at least one indictment um, against one of the, the violent rioters. Um, I, you know, I haven't reviewed, <laughs> I haven't reviewed all the charging documents, so it's possible they, they used it in more. Um, I was on a witness list for one of the Oath Keeper trials by the defense. Um, they ended up not calling me, but I was called. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a, uh, uh, representative in Alaska who was a member of the Oath Keepers and there was a civil trial where they're trying to some activists was trying to sue under Alaskan law that you know this Oath Keeper who was not you know charged for January 6th but they're trying to sue to get him you know removed as a, a legislator barred from running um, so I, I did testify um, in that trial regards to what I had seen of the Oath Keepers of the Capitol but yeah um, yeah, that, that my footage cool. was used in an Epic Times documentary, one of theirs on January 6th. Um, but yeah, I'm not aware of it being used by the January 6th committee in any way. And I guess, I mean, it's a, it might be a stupid question in a sense, because they'll say, sure, we used it, but not because of its journalistic quality, just because it was evidence. And so therefore, he's still not a journalist and we're justified. And um, that's it's a, it, I, I'm flabbergasted. First of all, I'm a little irritated. I said GoFundMe instead of Give, Send, Go, but, but I'll have to get over that one. Uh, Katie <laughs> would like to know more about your faith. I mean, our, our, I, I, faith is, has got to be something to help you get through this. But I mean, uh, question like about your faith, the degree to which do you pray regularly and how are you coping with this on a day to day? You just you just you just push it out of push it to the back of your mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> so I was raised in a Christian household. You know, I believe in God, but I am not a Christian myself. Um, I do pray um, sort of on a day-to-day -day level. I uh, don't necessarily think about it that much. Um, yeah, because it's, you know, not, not a big part of my life. Just, you know, this conviction over my head. It is what it is. And when, when that comes time for me to be sentenced, you know, then, then I'll probably think about it more. Uh, the astral doge play says his testimony for january 6th would have ruined the hollywood production um do you think the u.s republic has fallen this is from auntly um you know a republic literally means you know a, a public thing you know that's what separates a republic from any other form of government is not necessarily the representation or whatnot it's really that the purpose of the government is to you know be for the people instead of you know being for the monarch for the dictator whatnot um in terms of whether it's fallen uh i don't know there's certainly a lot of uh self-centered and, and self-motivated people running the government i'm not sure how many of our politicians really have that the public interest at heart anymore did they force you to take down your footage from the internet or was it taken down on no the but they platforms? did get my facebook account deleted so i'm not sure if it's because they subpoenaed it or because, you know, my Facebook account was referenced and that uh, they're reporting on me. Um, you know, there's a uh, law and the law and crime, you know, their, their article referenced that I had posted to Facebook. And I think Facebook, you know, sort of scours the internet for any negative mentions and stories and then deletes the accounts. So, you know, I had, I, I wasn't really someone who posted controversial stuff. So I had never had any warnings or anything on my Facebook account just one day. Couldn't log in anymore. The account was completely deleted. Really, yeah, uh, no, no appeal or anything. Uh, the footage is still on Rumble. 
Yeah, though, That's unfortunately, what I lost in the Facebook account is, you know, all of the, the footage and, and posts I had, you know, covering that the demonstrations and riots in 2020, I had solely posted that to, you know, a Facebook page I had created exclusively for that purpose. And so, you know, when when my Facebook account was deleted, I hadn't thought to have backed any of that up. So, you know, unfortunately, I couldn't, you know, really show anyone any of the videos that I had been capturing in 2020, because now that that was gone. Wow. Um, okay, so that's wrong. What, what, what account is it under on Rumble uh, for those who want to see it? Uh, Stephen, you can look up Stephen Horn. Uh, I think that the username is Stephen E. Horn, like it is on Twitter. <coughs> um, yeah, if you, if you look at my Twitter account, you can, um, <coughs> I think, you know, yeah, I, I've linked to it several times. Okay. I'll, I'll probably. <coughs> post another link to it when I get off this just for, for anyone who's interested. Dude, I, I, well, first of all, I'm gonna be blasting this around as as loudly as possible. Robert and I are gonna talk about this Sunday night because I've, I've got my questions, which not, not I don't think they can be answered. And I, so, but we'll, 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 we're definitely gonna put this on blast of the highest order because it's, it's, it's an absolute, what's happening to the January Sixers in general is an injustice of the highest order. This is just almost, it's farcical. It's, it's absolutely farcical. Uh, you're dealing with it well. Now, hold on, Stephen. Um, is there anything that I forgot to ask you or that you want to say that you will say, Viva, why didn't you ask me that or kick yourself after <laughs> this is over? I don't believe so. Um, I guess if you want to watch the documentary, they can go to j6documentary.com. You know, I post it there uh, free for, for anyone who wants to watch that. Perfect. I'm, I'm looking here. I think I put all of your Twitter links in the description. So at J6 Documentary, uh, this week in the Triangle, and uh, Stephen Barron at Proton Mail, and Stephen Horn. Stephen Horn. Oh, Stephen E. Horn uh, for your Proton Mail, and Stephen Horn.locals.com. What do you have on your locals? So, so what, what, what content are you putting on your locals page? Um, just that, you know, journalism reporting I was doing. Um, I actually used to be at a supporter on y'all's locals. I think I'm not anymore after my debit card changed or something, but yeah, I used to, I used to watch your show a lot and, you know, 2020, probably early 2021 before I started, uh, producing, uh, more of my own content. I, I, I had a lot more time to watch other people's. Well, I think, I think there's a way that we can gift an account. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak <laughs> with my, our account manager at locals. Um, all right, man, Steven, uh, I'm a stubborn, loud, uh, obsessive individual, and now I am on this like, like what is it? I don't know, like fly on flies on poop. I'm on this, and I'm going to be making as much noise as I know how because this is crazy. It's crazy, and it's especially crazy that I didn't hear about it until the conviction. And it's sort of like that the, the story of um, the guy from <laughs> oh geez, um, Coot Colt. What? And I I think it's a New Mexico individual uh, elected municipal council or whatever removed from office for insurrection. I forget what his name was. Colt? Colt was it a Colt McAbee? It's, it had a coup for a COVID. in it. Um, anyways, I'll get it after. But I, uh, yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. But. Well, th this story is now officially on blast and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure everyone in, in, our, in our broader community knows to <laughs> yeah, tweet so it out if, at everybody. If there's anyone else who wants to interview me, you know, uh, I'm free to, to share the, the facts with 
you know, anyone who, uh, Dude, who wants to know about it. I will be sending you, uh, in, whoever I have direct contact with, I'm sending the info and your contact info over to. I, I won't say who I have direct contact with. <laughs> it, would, it would also let everyone know it's who secret. I don't. I, don't. I do not have a direct line to Joe Rogan yet, yet. Uh, Steven, thank you very much. We're going to keep in touch <laughs> And uh, I'm going to do everything that I can in my capacity to support you and help you at least right, you know, in, in every way. So you have my number, you have my info. We'll stay in touch. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. It's crazy. All right, go and uh, I guess enjoy the evening and keep on keeping on. Everyone knows where to find you and we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch, man. Have a good one. Yep. All right. Night, night. Rem- Holy crap. Can I swear now? I, I, th- I, I really feel like I want to swear. Okay. Locals. That's nuts. How, what's the guy's name? Um, the, the New Mexico guy. It's, I know it has like a, a C, an O, and a U, and it's pronounced in a way that's not the way you would typically uh, pronounce a name. Oh, did this guy get on the Capitol? Did this, uh, did this guy get on with the Capitol Police guy at the same time somewhere? Uh, midwinter days or Michigan winter days. He actually captured a Tarek Johnson on video at one point in time, but I don't think they had any interactions, uh, direct interactions. Swear now, this is fucking un-American, says Uppity Livestock. Well, I don't know if, if Evan, Evan Miller, by the way, who is the uh, majestic top hat, the locals man, or th- this time around, who, uh, I don't want to say the winner, it's Sam, so it's the locals chat this week. Evan Miller is in the backdrop, and the timing worked out well, because we actually had a show, a surprise interview, because... Steven said, yep, I'm doing this. And then it all worked perfectly. So we got Evan Miller, who is Majestic Top Hat, who was last week or the week before, selected individual for the chat. Evan, are you ready? I'm going to bring you in now. Thumbs up. There we go. Look, all right. We got another member of the community. Evan, sir, can you, can I swear with you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think my virgin ears can take it. Can you believe that load of horse shit that we, it's, it's judicial horse shit. I, I can't. It's more outrageous than I thought it was going to be when I heard the details. Oh, my the, goodness. The entire January 6th saga has been absolutely outrageous. It actually spurred an interest in law for me. So, oh, we're going to get into this. How, were you this? Were you blackpilled before, I don't know, 2020? Uh, honestly, I was pretty ignorant uh, politically before, before 2020. Around 2019, 2020 is where I really began listening to you guys and following you. I uh, picked up a long distance courier job during that time. My own brain to keep me company in the car. So friend recommended me to you guys and it's been a great decision. Okay, now you just froze there for one second. I don't know if it was me or everybody, but just in case it was for everybody, long distance courier driving. Uh, yeah, that was just a once a month thing. Okay. Uh, it was just an odd job to help make some ends meet. Now for those who are watching now and. Uh, Evan, are you going to be okay with if I publish this entire video to YouTube and Rumble afterwards? Uh, sure, go right ahead. Worst okay, case so... scenario, I embarrass myself in front of thousands. <laughs> yeah. of people. Oh well, it, that it, don't worry about that. You have a you have a generic enough name. Evan Miller <laughs> is is a member of our locals community, and what we do on the locals community is uh, supporters, people who are like you know, uh, say supporter members of the community who want to. So we, I, I put up a post, everyone replies, and then I randomly pick a number and select a person. We have a discussion. That's what this is right now. Um, so, what, dude, where are you from? If you don't mind, well, you'll tell me what you don't want to answer, but where are you from? How old are you? And how did you, how did you discover the channel? 
Uh, let's see. I'm from Bakersfield, California. I've been lived here basically my entire life. Um, and I discovered the channel. I was actually introduced to you guys by my friend Chris. I said I was interested in uh, hearing more about politics, staying up to date on some news, and needed some stuff to listen to. He recommended me to you guys. Um, I think my first podcast with you guys, I was driving back from Ontario, California, back to Bakersfield through the grapevine. It was you and Barnes on and, uh, listening to you guys. Uh, I was just like, okay, these sound like two people who really know what they're talking about. I love Barnes technical breakdown of, of legal matters and listening to you two is what really started, um, it's what spurred my interest in law. I'm not not sure what what is going to happen with that or where it's possible to go with that at all. But uh, how you also look quite young. Are you 28? <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, I, I I definitely have a huggable face. That's that I've been told. <laughs> uh, I am 33. Yeah, okay, I not am, so not so far off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a couple of years ago, I got invited to my church's youth group, which was kind of an awkward experience. So I get the, I get it a lot. Well, and we say in I think there's an English expression, but in in French we say l'âge de Jésus, the age of Jesus is 33, right? Um, I I don't I I am not never familiar heard, where that's actually come from. Okay. Um, that is I'm not I'm not going crazy. That is an actual expression. Hold on, I'm going to Google this. Age de Jésus, because <laughs> I remember when I turned 33. Uh, where was I? Uh, L'âge de Jésus. It's a French expression. Thirty. Okay, so I guess, I think it. Okay, I think it's derived from he was thirty-three. Um, so you're thirty-three years old, Bakersfield, California. Which, from what I've understood now um, from Barnes, Bakersfield is sort of tends to be more conservative than say, L.A. Honestly, contrary to what a lot of people think, most of California outside of the main urban hubs is conservative. We were actually Republican led for most of our history throughout like 1986, I think. I'm, I'm looking at Bakersfield on a map. I don't think I actually fully appreciated where it was. It's about an hour and a half north of L.A. Okay. And it's what? It's, 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 a, it's a big big town. I mean, it's got to be pretty big anyhow, even if it's small by comparison to L.A.? Yeah, it's um, it's bigger than it was growing up for sure. Uh, most of the area just to the south of my house used to be farmland. Now you can drive, what, five, eight miles before you, you actually start reaching agricultural areas. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think we're like the 13th biggest city in California right now. Um, yeah, yeah, we're roughly, I think the population is between four and 500,000. That's, that's wrong on that one. big enough. Um, and you were born and raised there. How has it, how has it changed in your young life of 33 years? Has it changed radically from your, uh, from your own experience? Oh, geez. Um, so I actually wasn't born here, but my youngest memories are all here. I supposedly was born in Fountain Valley. Um, as for how it's changed yeah, the, the town's gotten bigger. Uh, traffic's gotten worse and the roads have stayed the same. So I am. I'm, so look at this since 1990, I, I haven't brought this up, but the population was just under 200,000 in 1990. And now the population is over 400,000 in 2020. So I had double over yeah. 30 years. That's, that's, have I ever been to Bakersfield? Um, I, I've, I've would, driven to you Vegas. would probably remember it if you were ever driving between LA and Fresno and spontaneously combusted. Uh, so. <laughs> no, so you know what? Uh, I've, I've done the drive from L.A. to Vegas, from L.A. to where else? 
That's okay. My, I, got, I got family that live in the Woodland Hills area. That, that name I remember. Uh, so you, so, and um, what do you do? May I ask what you do for a living now? Um, I try to cobble together something resembling an income. I used to be a paramedic before I injured my back. Um, I had, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd worked in emergency services for about six years between being an EMT and a paramedic. Injured my back about the same month I proposed because I have the best timing at literally everything, apparently. <laughs> um, since then, I've been trying to put together something where I can use with, with, with what skills that I have that don't involve some form of physical labor. Um, and yeah, I opened a, a writing business, a freelance writing business, and then, um, you know, AI became a big thing. So, you know, like I said, best timing. Um, so let's see, I do a freelance writing business. I work as a behavior interventionist working with autistic children. I run a gaming YouTube, uh, YouTube channel with my family. Go, um, hold on. Well, we're going to, you obviously do. I was going to, I was going to pick up on that one in particular. I had a feeling. What's the, uh, what, what, what type of games? Um, so honestly, man, just about everything, but everything displayed on the channel is multiplayer family fun stuff. What's the channel um, name? I'm going right now. I got to see this. So the channel is called Checkpoint Studios. Checkpoint Studios. You'll know it's, it's logo should be a big rubber duck. Yeah, right here. Oh, dude. Well, they, okay. We're, it, you'll have, I guess, I think you'll have slightly more subscribers in a, in a short while. Let me bring this up. We're hoping for it. <laughs> now, let me see this here. This is it. People are going to poop on you for using YouTube, but that is where the playground is. Although there's a lot of gaming stuff on Rumble now as well. And I suspect it might have, do you have a Rumble channel yet? I understand that it's in the works. We don't have one yet. Good. Well, that, 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 and well, you'll get there. You'll get there. That, you have to do it there. Okay. Looking, I'm looking here. What happened with dragons overwatch that was different uh, than the other ones? Oh, so, um, that was a different, so most of our, uh, videos up right now are just group gameplay videos where it's just, you know, various family members all playing games and our commentary. What would happen if we took, I'm going to turn the this, down, sorry. this one, we took, um, basically the, the dragon cinematic from overwatch, ran it through four different languages in Google Translate and then translated it back to English and yes. then voiced it over. Um, so hold on, then we might want to hear the audio. Hold on. That's like what they did with Frozen when they, I think they translated the song like multiple times back. And yes. Back and Melinda Kathleen Reese. Southern tigers. But when he passed, he realized he was alone. Victory was always delicious. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> that 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 is my uh, younger brother. His uh, his duck persona on that channel is Shadow Duck, and uh, he's he's honestly amazing when it comes to editing, voice coaching. I voiced one of the characters in that video, and I do not I I do not have a radio voice at all. So he he's amazing at what he does. That's very cool. And, first, and you how many? May I ask how many kids you have? Or I, we don't even know age, but you have young many more than one. Hold on. Are you talking kids or siblings? Kids. I do this channel mostly with my siblings. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. So I have uh, three kids and a little boy on the way. Touch and... wood. Poopoo Kadena Hora. Good. Congratulations. That's magnificent. <laughs> Thank you. I, I wanted a fourth, but we're... dude, you have to do them quickly before you realize how they get increasingly not annoying, but I'd say more difficult as with each child. First is always everything's new. Second is nothing's old yet. Third, getting there. <laughs> now, fourth is going to be that's amazing. 
I was uh, honestly hoping like, okay, well, let's hold off until we're a little bit more financially secure. And as I've been following the news, I'm like, well, that's never going to happen. So it, it is, um, it's, it's crazy. Is it, does your wife work as well? Uh, my wife, uh, yes, my wife is a goddamn hero, honestly. Um, she works at O'Reilly's Auto Parts as a merchandiser. It's kind of a long story involved in how we met and how we, we got together. But she is just an amazing woman. Like, but, I do and, not deserve her. <laughs> first of all, I, I know the chat will be saying, don't say such things, Evan. This is like when, when, when I call myself an idiot. Um, although I... I sometimes genuinely feel it. Not sometimes, a lot of times. Uh, so you, but you're you're a two working family with three kids, one on the way. And I mean, it has is California worse than elsewhere? I mean, you, you might not have the basis of comparison, but how, what in the cost of life has increased that you can remark offhand? I mean, it's um, everything, but in I, particular, that that. So let's see. To, to sum up what I, I can with my experience, I'm basically working three jobs right now between my, my writing, not even counting the channel, with my writing business, working as a behavioral interventionist, and I do DoorDash literally every night. We're barely making ends meet. The price of gas here shot up like 80 cents in the last two months. What, um, what, is, it, what is it a gallon now? It's over five bucks? Cheapest I've got, yeah, $5.19 down the street. Five nineteen a gallon. In a gallon, there's four liters, give or take, correct? Um, I don't know. We're American over here. <laughs> trying to think of how much it is, how much that would be Canadian. Cause like we take for granted. It's just, it's, I think it's about the same in Canada in general. It's, I'll, I'll look up in a second. 520 a gallon. Florida is four and change. And I think you can find places that are just under four bucks. Okay. That's outrageous. And you have to have two cars as a, as a family of, of, of two adults and three kids. Yeah, and I got my car back when I was still a paramedic with a good career and thought I wouldn't have trouble. And, you know, we're uh, still making payments on that one. Fortunately, my wife owns her car outright. Um, groceries are an absolute nightmare. An average, like, a, I cannot make a small run to the store for under 80 bucks. Um, I just went to the store last night. I basically got sandwiches, hot dog stuff, some, you know, like, like basic basics. Mm. 85 bucks it's un it's unbelievable it's unreal and, and first of all the the so you have one car that you're still paying for that's under a, not under a lease but or a le what is it called financing uh, so, yeah i said in in a in a in one way we were sort of like fortunate that we had no credit when we came down to the states so we couldn't even finance a car but they just bend you over and and violate your economic um in uh <laughs> they violate you economically and then well, and I mean, had had the whole situation been different, it, like we'd been more afloat, but we had a long drawn out battle with my wife's ex that cost like $30,000. I guess I should clarify three of my ch children are technically stepchildren. Yeah. Okay. Um, they call me dad. I call them kids. You know, I don't really care. Um, but, uh, you know, we had a long drawn out battle with my wife's ex, heavily abusive kid came home with bruises. So, you know, we had to hire a lawyer. That was $30,000. I literally had to st strike an arrangement to start writing legal articles for the guy to put on his blog to pay off our debt. We maxed out our credit cards multiple times. I used to have a credit score of about 785, and now it's in the gutter. Our credit cards are maxed out. The whole thing's been financially very, very difficult. And the 
economic circumstances in California have not made anything any better. We want to get out, but we're not even sure that's a possibility. I mean, that, that's that's and if you if you were to get out, would you think of going to Texas or would you think of going like, I don't know, more inland Ten well, Tennessee, I guess, is further in. Like, where, where would you even go? My wife's uh, freezes, so she says we're not allowed to live within two states of the Canadian border. Um, there's a few ideas that we're looking at. Um, Reno, Nevada, Utah, possibly uh, Kentucky. We're mostly looking for places where we have support groups already established. Um, so I, th I think, uh, yeah, it was uh, Utah, Reno, Nevada, Kentucky. There's a few other places we were looking at. South Dakota might be a person out or a possibility, but I'll have to rearrange the map without my wife knowing. I'll commit through that. <laughs> Utah, I, I've only driven. I've only been there once, and we did. We spent, a, I think, I don't know, a couple of days. It, it's it's like it looks geographically. It's heaven on earth. I don't mm -hmm. know, like all other things considered, my number one concern in life is you know looking up crime of the cities, and then and then moving accordingly is bakersfield is it is it has it gotten bad and grimy over the years or is it pretty safe in terms of crime uh we we have uh quite a bit of crime major major gang problem down here there's there's all sorts of different gangs around the city i actually sat on a trial criminal gang trial they, they pulled up the the map and it, it looked like a picasso painting with all the different territories labeled all over each other oh it's just like we know there's certain areas of town not to go to we live in a pretty good area of town and my car window just got smashed last Saturday and they, they ripped open the steering column and tried to steal my car. So I, back in Canada, I mean, I, I would just, I would leave my car unlocked. It was easier than they didn't. It's funny. They, I don't know if they would smash windows, but I just know that whenever I left the car unlocked, someone would rummage through it and it was just easier to leave it unlocked than, than, than risk the car, just leave nothing in the car. I mean, it doesn't seem like they were, I don't even know what they were looking for because I would oftentimes have change in the, in the, in the center and the change would be there. Like not like maybe 10 or 12 bucks. I don't know what the hell they were looking for. It's not like people carry guns in their car in, in, in Montreal. Well, in my case, my car was a Hyundai, so they were trying to steal it. I, okay. You and Barnes covered that whole issue a while ago. Um, but yeah, no, normally, normally is did you never had broken windows until a little bit ago. We don't have the same problem like San Diego or San Francisco has, but have, uh have you when was the last time? have you been to san diego uh no not san diego san francisco recently recently no okay. I, the, I went when i was a teenager once a long time ago but it's like it's the known thing in california like you don't go there unless you have to it's not the it's nobody goes there touristically to see how beautiful the city is or do is it still are there still areas that are decent I have absolutely no idea honestly like touring and sightseeing has not been in the budget for a couple of years i'm afraid <laughs> Man, oh man, yes, yeah, so, so, so in the chat, hold on, it says, um, love in two lines says, your plight makes the Biden admin smile. Th that's the question I have. It's like, you're, you're not alone. And I don't know how, how anybody can't observe it. The only sense it makes is that there's some people who think that this suffering is somehow like holy suffering. And so it's, it's what we have to do for the greater good. Or others say, well, I'm suffering, but I'm sure it would have been worse under the guy that I hate. Therefore, I have to continue supporting the guy who's the source of my suffering now. Is, is, it, is it, I mean, I, like, I, it might be a loaded question because, you know, ideologically you might already have an answer, but it is or is it remarkably different than, what year are we in, 20, under Trump? I mean, it's, it's, it's night and day comparison? Uh, yes. I, uh, I mentioned that I did DoorDash. I'm still trying to get my writing business off the ground. So right now, DoorDash makes up the bulk of my income. 
back then I could fill my tank up for 30 bucks. I averaged $150 a night and I only worked three or four hours. It was good back then. Now, mm -hmm. if I make 90 to $100, it's a good night. My gas tank takes 60 bucks on average to fill up. Um, it's just like I, I work two days in a row and then have to fill up the gas tank. And it's like, oh, there go like a third of my earnings just right into my car. Well, why, why don't you just go out and like Kamala Harris's get one of them electric cars? <laughs> but a big oh. boom. It's, it's, uh, you... Sorry, oh, go sorry. ahead. No, I was going to say, I don't know if you've seen the new Samson rap song or uh, it was two songs ago. But he's like, he makes the joke, you know, like, I can't afford a $50,000 electric car. And even if I could, I'd go out and buy a gas one because I don't trust anything you guys have to say. It's like listening to those people who are like, oh, let them riot. Insurance will cover the property damage. It's like, no, it doesn't even come close. Like, well, that, that's if that's if it even covers. I mean, most places don't cover riot or insurrection as uh, oh, my goodness. Well, OK, look, we'll, we'll move off the um, the un unhappy realities of the world and get to, back to other ones. Can you believe that guy's? Can you believe that guy's story? And have you been following the news? Are you on Twitter? Uh, I'm not on Twitter. Uh, most of the news I've been following have been through you, Tim Cast, or Matt Christensen. Okay. Well, the guy's name was Cooey Griffin. Cooey, C-O-U-Y. That's I've never heard. I've never seen that name before. If um, it makes you feel any better, I could not have a single teacher in grade school pronounce or uh, type or spell my name correctly. I don't know why it's four letters, but no one could get it. And nobody could get Evan. No one could get Evan. And um, the other problem I'd have is people would spell my name right and pronounce it wrong. Uh, I just got called Yvonne over the phone not that long ago. <laughs> well, you never know these days. It's uh, the creative, creative. <laughs> have you seen the um, key peel? What is this guy? Named? It's keys and peel or peel and keys where he does the improper pronunciation of names. Oh, no, no. it's it. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, I think it's called key and peel improper uh pronunciation am i gonna be able to get it it's hilarious substitute teacher i'll send you the link because um it's three minutes it's it, it will it will have you laughing hilariously and there was a guy who did this video called water is not wet who had a very funny mispronunciation he would just mispronounce words all the time it was, it was quite good <laughs> evan though that's i mean geez louise maybe it's because of my milieu i knew a number of evans growing up um so what was, oh no so the news of the day now and, and rumble has just put out a statement um geez louise uh the british government sent a letter to TikTok social media companies including rumble asking if they plan on allowing russell brand to remain monetized on their platforms it's a freaking war out there evan it's it's only getting worse by the day I, I i every single time i hear someone say other countries have freedom of speech i'm just gonna like clip this part and say oh no it's it's the, the, uh, I, people criticize Canada for not having freedom of speech, which I, which now I, I realize they don't, but they look at this here. I'll bring this up. Let me just make sure I'm not going to so neurotic about uh, sh accidentally showing a DM that has someone's cell number in it. This is uh, the letter. Are we seeing the same thing right now? No, we're not. Cause I haven't shared it. This is the letter, the British government, they have a, com uh, a committee. They have their tribunals, culture, media, and sports committee sent a letter to the BBC saying, Oh, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow in detail uh the we we're, we're concerned about the environment of the work environment yada yada oh but also could you please assure us while respecting the potential police investigations all information that can be closed publicly will be finally we would urge you to encourage people to report incidents to the police this is a government the government asking the bbc which is uh, government funded from what i understand 
oh yeah, by the way, if there's any more Russell Brand uh, accusers out there, make sure they go talk to the police. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Get people to fabricate stuff. And then they sent a letter to TikTok saying, um, are you, is he still monetized? We don't want to make money off of his video where he responded to the allegations. It's, it's, oh man, are you, um, are you doom-pilled or do you still have optimism for the future? Uh, I mean, I have three kids with a fourth on the way. I have to have some sort of optimism for the future. That's just the only option that you can have. You can't raise kids and tell them uh, all is lost and enjoy life. So, um, oh. um, the, the, uh, the writing business, what's, what's, is it not? So it's, what, what is it like, uh, uh, describe it. Cause I, I'm picturing, I always think of translation, but it's not translation. So when I injured my back, I had to find some sort of skill that I had that I could market. And the only option I had was that I've been writing stories since I was 11 years old. Um, it was always a hobby. I never intended to make a career out of it. And so I thought, well, I can translate that into a business. And I started doing things, content writing, like uh, blogs, articles, newsletters, and so on. Um, I couldn't really get that as off the ground as I was hoping to, especially not once AI became a thing and uh, parading around with horribly written articles saying, oh, yeah, I got AI to do this. Um, and me looking at them and going, that's not well written at all, but it could very easily get there. So mm -hmm. I started pivoting my business more towards creative writing, book and story writing, because I mean, if you're looking to, 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 to make money selling books, yeah, you might maybe try to have AI write a book, but most authors are creative people and they want to tell a story. And I've got 20 years of practicing storytelling. So I, you know, thought I could help guide people through this process. I've already got a couple of clients and it's been some of the most fun work that I've been just coaching and helping people. I, I offer editing services for books as well, but um, a lot of what I do is just helping people learn how to tell a story in a way that they can edit on their own. The independent author community does not have a lot of money. Well, I, I also, I know people talk about the, the limitless capacity of, of um, AI, but I, they, they won't be able to do things that require, I, I don't think it will be able to do things that require creativity as well as humans. I, I, even, even the crap that it does pull up in terms of generic summaries, other than the problem being they're factually incorrect sometimes, they, it, I don't think it can ever replicate the skillful art of a human, but maybe I'm just being... I'm naive or optimistic. I, I think the same way, although I've already watched it come leaps and bounds from what it used to be enough that I was like, I don't think this content thing's going to last very long. I could be wrong on that. I'm still pretty new to the whole like writing copy and things like that. But um, for an author, writing a book is a passion project. Having a robot do it for you kills the point. So that's... Mm no robot's going to be able to su supplant the the passion sense of achievement that a, a writer's going to have in creating their own story um evan evan i want to ask you a question because I, I, it's a concern of mine uh does watching the channel and the information that we provide does it make you more optimistic more pessimistic happier sadder um how would you qualify it because uh, the underlying reason why i would still like an honest answer the underlying reason is if understanding reality necessarily makes us uh, more cynical, more jaded, and more unhappy, are we better off living a life of ignorance? Um, but how, how has it improved your psychological quality of life since having joined the channel, or or has it made you darker and more cynical? I mean, I I understand the the ignorance is bliss sort of idea, but. Um... 
and and maybe that's true maybe i would be happier for a time until i'm let off a cliff or i can't find a way out of a situation for my family um i there are some days where i can't bring myself to turn it on and listen i won't lie like things are dark right now but i don't i i cannot believe that living a lie is going to improve anything else you know um the the all of almost all of the problems that we faced involve people unable to face unpleasant realities the 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 rise of transgenderism unable to face the unpleasant reality that your feelings might not be in line with biological reality that's a really hard and terrible thing to have to go through but instead of facing that we've stuck our head in the sand i i look at that and i look at the way that people turn out i'm like it, it doesn't it doesn't turn out any better so yeah it sucks sometimes it, it sucks a lot sometimes but um i'm not gonna let my family get let off a cliff we're not gonna that, that is optimistic but we are gonna end with a laugh because uh in, in the community hold on uh not that that's mr garvey or, here we go we won't play the whole thing if you have it oh it's six minutes hold on we'll, we'll, we'll play a few seconds here listen up it's hilarious i'm y'all substitute teacher mr garvey i taught school for 20 years in the inner city so don't even think about messing with me y'all feel me is this is this take okay. roll here here we go <laughs> jay quellen where's jay quellen at no jay quellen here yeah. Uh, do you mean Jacqueline? Okay. So that's how it's going. <laughs> okay, then, then it, it goes on. Okay, so that it goes on, and it's and it gets funnier and funnier, and he gets angrier and angrier. Um, Evan, do you have, I will add this. Do you have any dogs? No, no pets. My uh, my wife and daughter are both allergic to basically anything with fur on it. So. <sighs> Well then, how's it? I'll My mom has seven cats, though, and I periodically get to go over there and pet them. So seven cats. There's jokes in there, Evan. I'm not going to make them. You could get uh, like a what? seven cats. I have seven siblings. My mom doesn't do anything in small numbers. <laughs> well, I would say you know you get a West Highland Terrier and then shave him bald like the groomer did, and that should be uh, what do they call them? Uh, hypoallergenic. But yeah, that's free winter it. clothing. You know. Yeah. Evan, stick around. We're going to end this here, and I'll, we'll talk for a bit off off air. But uh, Evan, thank you very much. You did you did not do badly. You actually did very well. <laughs> I appreciate that. If you don't, do you mind if I uh, plug my business real quick? Plug everything. I, I, I yeah, please. Uh, well, you've already introduced the channel, but um, anyone who has any friends or interested in uh, learning how to write, tell a better story, get your story sharpened. I've been doing that sort of thing for 20 years. I'm working on books. I run a company called Penmaster Productions. You can find me at penmasterproductions.com. Uh, it's also on Facebook. It's Penmaster Productions. Um, so yeah. And, hold on, uh, hold on. I'm going to bring it up. Pen. Okay, I'm just making sure I typed it properly. Penmaster Productions. Stop screen. We're going to show this. Share screen. Penmasterproductions.com. This is it uh yes oh my god i forgot i need to I, that website is gonna have some changes coming to it for so, sure first of all, I, I was gonna say it looks good this is i mean I, I know how the websites work this is like um oh geez what's the uh the template website but this is this is fine just so long as it's not ypsilon you're, you're already ahead of the game all right good all right good that's it there you go boom shakalaka penmasterproductions.com uh 
and the channel. What was the channel called again? I I, I erased that window, but oh, okay. it's uh, Checkpoint Studios. Checkpoint Studios. All right, Evan. Uh, I, we keep saying it on the channel. It's always darkest before the storm, and we have not yet gotten as dark as it's going to get because this. I said it. I'm going to look smart for having said it. There, they, it, the, the war on Russell Brand is a war on all of us. It's the same thing. They pick their. The targets are just ancillary to the underlying target, and the underlying target is full control over thought, speech, internet, communication, and the dissemination of information. And they just have to use their big targets as the way to get there. But um, in the meantime, we all have to live our lives and try to live them with, with passion, with purpose, and uh, with sanity. So, Evan, thank you, for, uh, thank you for doing this. It was great. Now, you stay there. I'm going to end the stream officially, make sure that I do. And we'll talk for a few minutes, and then I'm going to get ready for seven o'clock uh, with uh, Owen Schroyer talking about the other, uh, the other injustice of the week. Evan, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good one. Night, everybody. Mm -hmm.